Podcast time. Mm, attitude. Yeah. I like that. Dig it. All right. It, it's starting you to, said I dig it. It's starting to wear on me, actually. Yeah. 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 Hi, I'm Matt. I'm John. <laughs> I am Steve. Didn't need a segue. I decided to leave it at the door. Oh. Because segues are a thing you ride. No, and you it. wouldn't take it in your uh, home. <laughs> actually, you would. They're very easily stealable. Theftable? Yeah. I don't know. I, I see them in a shed. What's the right I don't, word for that? I mean, I don't think I know anyone within... Stealable? Yeah, that's not They're the right They're easy word. to steal. Do you know anyone within still, six degrees of an... separation with the Segway? Who owns one? No, Wait, I don't. That only works for Kevin Bacon. But that you made a Segway to Kevin Bacon. Actually, I did womp that. Womp womp. Yeah, actually, actually you did. Yeah. I, I opened the Segway. Oh, briefly, we should mention, because as of when we're recording this, we are just a day before... And by the time you're listening to it on Friday... It'll be uh, five days after, but it's John's birthday. You mathed. I did. Happy birthday, John. Yay. He's going to be 30. the big 3-0. Oh, God. I am the only one with a two in the first digit. Yeah, but m- mentally you're like 100, so it's fine. Well, if you just bump that up to 200, then I'm still... <laughs> in the two. What? That's true. You're so crotchety, you're beyond crotchety. That's right, a super senate... What, what do you call that? Like a, a, a double senate, centenar- centenarian? I guess so. Bicentenarian. Yeah. Can't, you can't say super... Oh, yeah, bi, bi, it would be bicentenarian. Like bicentennial. Oh, yeah. That, that, bicentennial that man. obvious, yeah. Derp. So uh, I'm not that old, because, you know, <laughs> experience would mean I knew that. Really underrated Robin Williams film as well. I actually like that film a lot. Yeah. Actually, it takes place in the same universe as iRobot. Does it really? Yes. One of the first things that happens is when they boot I'm up the Robin Williams robot. First thing they do when they boot up the Robin Williams robot, he reads, <laughs> he reads off the three laws. Oh, yeah. Verbatim ah, from Isaac Asimov. Oh. Yeah. How about that? Maybe they just both separate canons enjoy Isaac Asimov. It's built within the same realm. But also, iRobot doesn't take place in any of the books themselves. Real book I Robot is actually a group of short stories showing how to pervert these laws and how to prevent it. While the movie itself has nothing to do with what Asimov wrote. The more you know. Ding. Also, quickly to promote, um, as you're hearing this tomorrow, um, the day after Friday, which is Saturday, there's usually, a sh- usually. usually, except when it's not. Hey. <laughs> um, some previous guests of the Crash Chords podcast and Crash Chords autographs are performing, um, and. Uh, I wanted to promote their show at La Poisson Rouge in Manhattan. Shea for the Dark Lord and MC Lars are performing with Weedus. Um, they will be performing, I believe, Wait, the show's like at W H E. Weedus. I'm a teenage dirtbag. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, they've had many oh, albums wow. since then, but they've kind of stayed fairly indie. But um, he, teenage dirtbag. I mean, that the lead like... singer of Weedus has actually been featured on Frontalot's last record. Oh, too. cool. Yeah. Um, mm. Anyway, they're performing in Manhattan. I'm going to go to the show, so you should come by, hang out, say hi, and enjoy some badass raps. So there. Is that the plural? Badass raps? Yeah, well, ra- yeah raps in general. Multiple raps. raps? Multiple raps. No, I don't. Successive raps. It could be, I should guess. Should be. Why not? There might be rappings. What in English says otherwise? They might rappings. be rappings. Rap, mm. 
Wrappings. Then they sound like droppings. Let's that, not. Yeah, do that's that. true. I don't like that. How about rabbi? No. But that Jewish rap that you were talking about, I think it was a couple weeks ago. Um, yes, the Jewish rapper. The rapping wasn't really Jewish, but the rapper himself was Jewish. Well, Ko- Kosher Dills. Yeah, with a name like Kosher Dills, you don't think that he'd extend the pun to a rapai? Could be, but I don't eh? know. Eh? I, I already I eh. saw that as soon as he said Jewish. Yeah, the word kinda, Jewish, I saw it. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want you to go there. <laughs> I'm going to move on from this as quickly Why? as possible now. They're fair game. Um, this week's album is my pick. Um, it's an album I've been listening to for about a month um, on and off. I haven't been spending a ton of time with it, but enough. And I was um, lost for a pick. So I picked this because I knew we have a history with this band. It's, of course, Walk Off the Earth's latest record, Sing It All Away, their second full-length record. Um, the previous EP we reviewed on episode... 36? Featuring Joe Coppola a.k.a. Joe Rude, was the EP version of Revo. Um, it's now a full length since then. Um, and also we reviewed some of their covers, kind of talked about them. So if you want to know background about the band, um, how we first heard them, and how they kind of started, go back to that episode, because there's a ton of that spiel there. Um, at this point now, they're established artists on their own. They still have a very successful YouTube channel, which is how they started. But now they are a pop powerhouse as of Revo, and now this new album, Sing It All Away. Um, I was intrigued by it because I had a pleasant experience with Revo. I've since liked the full album of Revo and a bunch of their covers, so I figured, let's check out this album. The initial listens were okay. I didn't hate anything. Some notes, first of all, on uh, that initial episode, mm-hmm. which was episode 36. Obviously, it was a long time ago for us. I, if, if we were to divide our entire podcast compendium into, like, segments, I would call that the last episode of the early years. Because <laughs> if you listen to the audio quality, it's very clear that we were in a completely different environment. Yeah. Um, a different studio, that is. Reed Apartment. Um, <laughs> and, you know... I, it, was, it was an interesting case because it was almost a bit of an error on our part at the fact that, well, a guest did, we just started honoring guests' requests. Uh, obviously, we have a guest in the podcast. Up until that point, we had kind of this, you know, awkward situation where we just sort of had them sit in on whatever our album it was, right. given the rotation that was that week. But then we decided to start shifting as of episode 29. Wall Street players came on and they proposed to do the paper chases, hide the kitchen knives. And we're like, okay, this this format kind of works. We will do what the guests say. And we've been doing it ever since. So when it arrived on episode 36, not long after, we had a little bit of an error. It's like, well, Joe Rude didn't suggest an album. He suggested an EP. And just to sort of fluff it up, we decided, all right, well, we'll talk about a little more than an EP, because an EP is only four tracks. We'll do their covers also. We talked about the EP plus selected covers. Whatever we could get from their extensive cover selection, because that is kind of how the band began. They were known a lot for doing really, really uh, outlandish covers. Uh, what was the primary one by Gautier? Oh, um, Somebody Used to Know. Somebody Used to Know. That they was did, they did make highly their, circulated. They make, uh, they'd had their breakout video with an acoustic cover of Gangnam Style, or at least a partial... Uh, acoustic cover of Gangnam Style. I believe that was actually yeah. one of their first videos. Yeah, they had lots of crazy that's what, ones. That's how they the started. Thing, the thing that made that video specifically viral, though, about somebody I used to know, is that they all played it, performing it on one single guitar, using it as percussion, tuning different parts of it as they were all playing it together. And that's what made it really interesting, of course, and also the very the, the really interesting vocal arrangement as well. 
Um, but and that was so successful, and they acknowledged the success of that by making it the middle track on Revo, the full length version. That's the only cover on that album. Right. So the full version was the tracks that they added. We essentially reviewed a portion of the album because yeah. that was one of those EPs that didn't exist separately. It was really more of a preview or precursor to the album. And Correct. we found those four tracks interspersed within more tracks. Um, and you said you'd enjoyed it, so at least we have a little bit of discographical history, at least yes. as far as Revo is concerned. And now we move on to this, which is called... Sing It All Away. Sing It All Away. The first... first of all, they're from Canada. That yes. should be no- noted. We like to note Canadian bands. True. And they've been described as a more like alternative rock slash ska slash reggae group. Because they do have lots of influence in reggae, both stylistically, and they've featured some reggae kind of sounds in their pop covers to change it up a bit. Right. But based on their pop covers, they have some pretty strong pop leanings. So this yeah, is absolutely. the kind of stuff that would be borrowed in pop. They're also extreme instrumentalists. Gianna Luminati, the uh, front man, the, uh, from what I understand of the history, the guy who kind of brought the band together... Bass, guitar, ukulele, banjo, mandolin, drums, vocals, theremin, glockenspiel, piano, cajo, with cajun. I don't know what a cajun is. Cajun? Cajun. I don't know. I like cajun. Cello, bongos, harmonica, double bass, percussion, kazoo, keyboard, beatbox, kalimba. That's just him. Everybody else has almost as long of a list. Oh, the kalimba. We yeah. encountered that in episode 137, the little finger piano that was present in the Modest Mouse album. That I said I was actually fairly proficient at playing. <laughs> These guys are all over the board <laughs> the when it comes... Most randomness fact in the world. It is one of the, the more instruments. I mean, they are everywhere when it comes to instruments, and you can hear it in their music. They're always experimenting with different things, or at least bringing in just different string work, percussion work, and... Horns, all that kind of stuff. Playing around with it. It's really impressive, right there, right away. I love the fact that 20 instruments, right off the bat, he's playing. It adds variety, that's for sure. They're coming from a lot of different backgrounds. So let's go to our third and hopefully final false start. (laughs) Yes. The uh, first track of the album is called Rule the World. It was also the first single. They have a video for it, playing with um, 360 cameras. It's fun. It's it's along the lines of the video, anyway. It's along the lines of stuff OK Go would do as well. Very viral and, you know, fun to watch. Art version. Yeah, yeah. Just working with a lot of... There was a lot of colors on people with face paint work and stuff like that, and it was weird perspectives. It, it was meant to be visual. There you go. The song itself... Well, horn introduction, I like that, Mm -hmm. but then it gets busy right away, electronically busy, and it starts to fool with the natural sounds that they're producing. Well, it goes into, I suppose, a term, maybe one of our only Crash Chords terms. (laughs) Actually, no, we have a few at this point. Instrumental. Well, this one is anthemic pop. Yeah. It's it's not really a term. It's just it, it speaks for itself. It's the kind of pop that's meant to uplift, which yeah. pop, I guess, at its core, usually is supposed to. It's either cathartic in a way, but it gets the job done over the right. course of its three or four minutes. And it's usually a little bit louder and in your face. Um, probably something you could dance to. Certainly something you could drive to. This kind of fit in and under that category to yeah. me. But there's a little more to it. There, Obviously, they have that reggae influence. Well, there's a slight reggae influence right here as of the first track, a little bit of a reggae twang, which was actually one of my favorite parts. It's a slight bit more mellow than perhaps the, the louder stuff that you get later in the choruses, but not terribly so. The whole track is still fairly in your face, yeah. to, in layman's terms. The, there was it, the idea, and I joke about this later in the record, just with the, the structure of the album, we'll get to that, but I mean, the song for sure itself is mostly all rise. It, you know, it breaks down a little bit, but it's kind of very in your face from the moment it starts. The verses kind of slow it down a little bit, and then it just kicks it up in the choruses. And one of the, my 
when going from that verse to chorus, I was very disappointed when we go from the male vocalist to the female vocalist, uh, Sarah Blackwood. I love her voice. I always loved her voice when they were doing the acoustic work in the early part of the career. She, It's haunting when she sings. But now what's going on is a lot of modulation. I don't like what this is doing. It's it's desensitizing what they're saying. You uh, had, had termed it very interestingly uh, prior to recording that, that it was almost as if she was like featured on this track. And that, the, the, that division between the verse and chorus really did separate the two parts, even as much as the music yeah, did itself. It, it's sort of like she just comes out of nowhere and then all of a sudden there's that really just pervasive. It seems like she's singing at the top of her lungs. It's all kind of a plateau. And it's true. She really is a, a great vocalist. It just seemed like the, the, the delivery in this particular track really didn't elevate that so much because how can you elevate something when it's really at the top of its game the entire time well also this song its emotional goal anyway is supposed to be all energy and i don't know that it's really accomplishing it in a very emotional way but it's the problem is when she sings usually in previous tracks that we've heard her on up until this point in the previous record there's a lot of soul and a lot of heartfelt nature to her singing whereas here it's kind of all high pitched and at the top of her range with no kind of expression, it's kind of even. And so you kind of lose a lot of what you expect from her. The song itself also comes off as somewhat celebratory over some sort of victory. All said and done, it's it's a, it's a fanfare. Mm-hmm. But and it, this doesn't work as an b- opening track. When your chorus uh, is, I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, no, no, no. They say, slow, <laughs> slow, slow. I say, go, go, go. It's it's defiant, but what is she defying? There's no definition here of what they may in fact be celebrating. Exactly, it's the idea of lacking context here. I mean, well, let's go back just to the to the the verses themselves because the, the chorus, of course, is is pretty straightforward. Don't cloud my vision. I'm telling you not today. Oh, 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 oh a lot of that stuff. Because I'm seeing straight, made my decision, made it through the shades of gray. Now I look at these words because normally you get more of a story in the verses anyway. They're usually set up the story before the chorus essentially summarizes it and, and chants it as it were. But you still get the same vagaries in the verses here, which are reflected later on by the defiance. But again, it's that defiance against something that you can't quite pin down. And I don't mean too... I don't mean to be too much of a negative Nelly, I guess, as of the first track here, but, you know, I, I feel like at this time they should have at least <clears throat> chosen some kind of theme here. It's something to at least set it up for you. Otherwise, all you have to go off of is just the uplifting nature of the song. It, it, it succeeds in that, but it's a, little, it's a little vapid without the other thing. Well, the problem with an uplifting song that has no background is you become just that, an anthem. And while there are bands who have done that very successfully, i.e. take Queen, for example, and we are the champions, the song doesn't have a ton of depth, but it at least has enough of a structure that you get a build-up, and, like, it's, it's about a victory in a game, okay, then a let match. Me, then let me clarify. The idea behind, because it's true, we are the champions, well, who knows what it really was originally about, but it became something. It became a track that became more powerful than any of the individual mediums in which you'd otherwise use it yeah. so it can be applied but that relies on it i mean you you need to go for the gold there and yeah. unfortunately here this is something that's just kind of a plateau there's not really that build that you get and we all the cha- are the champions right i mean it's a good comparison actually because yeah that if you're going to talk about anthemic pop that's They're probably the paradigm themes. that's what this is rule the world is a victory theme the problem is we are the champions um, um, First off, it was prefaced by We Will Rock You, and those are inexplicably linked at this point no, in time. No, of course. But it also, it, the difference is Freddie Mercury, when he sings the verses to, to We Are the Champions, there's a lot of heart there. It, it, the way he's, prov- I mean, it's his voice alone. Well, hang- Here, 
um, with Sarah Blackwood, you're just not getting that same in-depth emotion from the verses. She's not even singing them. It's um, Johnny is singing. And it's just, it's you're not getting that kind of passion. I mean, I don't mean to be too uh, evasive here. There are some there are some lyrics here that seem to lean a little bit closer to it. I chased illusion, then I watched it fade to black. Throwing me off track, found revolution, found it in a simple fact. I ain't coming back. I materialized the feeling to carry on, to carry on. I know some will say I'm dreaming, but I carry on, I carry on. It's like there's a little bit more there. You're starting to get a little bit closer, but this is like you sort of just wedged into the middle of the track. And by this point, you're kind of just used to the chorus chanting on that it's like to recess and then introduce a little bit of this later it, it becomes almost pointless it, it there's this there's not too much there to latch on to here deriving meaning from the song is kind of pointless i think it's very one-dimensional and cliche i think with this song it's either the chorus is catchy and you're on board or you realize it's vapid and you're not which it's sounding like for the three of us it's the latter i think that I appreciate the energy that they're starting the album with, especially as a pop act. I get that you want to kind of rally people, but there's just not enough substance for the rallying, and I think that's the biggest fault it has. Yeah, I was I was rather down on those lyrics that John read. The I say yeah yeah yeah, they say no no no, they say slow slow slow, I say go go go. I don't know, it's silly. It almost is a little bit of a smirk, which shows they have a sense of humor about themselves. But the again, the going back to the anthemic nature of it, it was it seemed a little self serious. Like when she's singing at that plateau, saying about you know I rule the world and that like. I mean, that that I can kind of, like, it has that kind of march at them, so I can get behind that. But the pre-chorus almost to that, like, is very silly. And I think that lyrically, I mean, it just doesn't leave a, it, it, there's not much to it. And emotionally, musically, there's not much to it either. The reggae things that they hint at with the horns was nice, but we don't really get much from it. And then lastly, a point on structure is the idea that, well, it's really nestled into your classic pop structure. Mm-hmm. You get the first chorus, first chorus, bridge, yep. and the bridge really isn't much of a bridge. It's more of just a light instrumental where you just hear the male vocals alone for a while, yep. just kind of chanting along the onomatopoeia stuff. Um, and then it just rallies right back again. And then uh, I believe it has a secondary bridge or something like that where the instruments pull out and then you're left with a sort of delayered uh, portion of the song where it's now just down to the vocalists. It's like, well, you take it down and then take it right back up again to its very height. I don't know, there's something just very predictable about the, about the direction of this. So, yeah, not the most uh, riveting start. No. But let's see what we get later on. Track two, I'll Be Waiting. So, I mean, when this song starts, what I really like about the intro to this song is that it's got a kind of this sweet na- nature that reminds me of some of their summer songs that they did on Revo. And also the horns, the, the reggae's back, and they have horn work here that feels, at first at least, more than a cliche. It feels like there's something to I'll it. I'll give it some credit also for the onomatopoeia that was mm-hmm. a little bit more engaging because yes. I actually remember it straight up. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of scatting almost. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you we did get, better. Thank you. I didn't have the breath. I lost it. Yeah. We get Sarah's natural voice, and that's right away my yeah. favorite thing about this song, just to hear her sing again because it's so many elements of what she does. She's eerie and beautiful and creepy and heartfelt and high and low and all over the place in so many of her previous work it's nice to hear her really shining through in this song right away yeah it's um still kind of uplifting but you're right it's a little bit more downplayed it's a little Mm -hmm. more candid and also i like the texture surrounding this It's sort of like a xylophone in the background also seems like it's almost like doubled up with like the guitar harmonic sound Mm there's this nice nice little tinny texture elements here but then we go into that hook and then the hook is just 
straight up reggae. Now this is in a much to a much greater extent than what I described. I noted in the first track here. This is almost flat out Bob Marley. It's it's everywhere. It's in the the xylophone seem to be replaced by a marimba. You get kind of a wooden sound here, and then the steel drum just straight up. That's very reggae. And, and then the vocals in that section, you get the yo. And it's enjoyable. And not I the love... other song that does that. <laughs> I love wheel. Yeah, well, that one. It's not the one I was thinking about, actually. Ayo, ayo. Oh, there we go. Oh, that's Deo. De- yeah, Deo. Okay, so we're all onomatopoeia'd out. I love where this song went to right there. It was great. It was enjoyable. And then... So the chorus happens, and it goes into a dancey progression <laughs> you know what? that... That is a great way to put, put the it. Chorus it the chorus happens. It happens. It just overcomplicates everything... The reggae is even there, but it's like 15 layers Actually, back. Actually, it's really not, to it's be honest. It's really not. It, it, it just kind becomes of reduced, kind of straight up pop. It reduced to more of a gallop, frankly. Yeah. It wasn't It wasn't the same uh, distinctive rhythm that you... And also, it, your reggae is a combination between rhythm sure. and texture itself. But here, this is just like almost teeny bopper gallop i i wouldn't quite go that far but it's pretty and i'll actually uh hop over to a podcast that we reviewed music a to z they keep using the word high octane that's the only thing i can use to describe this and it's actually pretty good well and that's fairly accurate i mean so yes the chorus happens unfortunately there's a bit of a disconnect between the verse the pre-chorus and the chorus or the post-verse whatever that part it's pre-chorus but then the course happens, and while I didn't hate the course, it was very different from the previous two parts, and I wanted more of that reggae. I wanted it to kind of stay in a reggae kind of dancey thing. Doing a dancey thing in the course, I don't have a problem with. Mm-hmm. I just wish it kind of stayed more to the reggae roots of the song. I think it would have had a better connectivity. The, well, the track is really broken up into three parts. I mean, you have the more downplayed, candid, almost like indie folk section. Not quite indie folk, but it's like it's as if it were played like on an open field or something. Mm-hmm. It's very, very lighthearted. And then it's into straight up reggae, and now finally... The chorus, which I don't even know what to call, it's just a pop chorus, yeah. and it's it's as it's as generic as they come, and it's as generic as the chorus had been in the last track. So it's like I don't really don't know what they're doing with this. It's, they have three different sides. It's funny because I actually described them initially as well this sort of three tiered band. They have their alternative rock, they have their ska, and they have their reggae. But it's I haven't heard about ska to be fair. But the point is, obviously most groups have multiple influences. The problem is, of course. It, you know, by section, you shift up harshly. You know, you're supposed to integrate it. That's, I don't know. Oh, and also just... That's supposed to do anything, let's I, be clear. But it would be better probably if you get a more a more flowing uh, experience. Right. And to uh, amend what you were saying, uh, Scott, is influ- Scott is influenced by reggae. So them being influenced by reggae means they're influenced by Scott, which means... But they're distinctive well, enough that I can still comfortably say no, no, it no. had not made an appearance. No, that's <laughs> yeah. fair. And it will not. Um, it, it's just... Yeah, I don't know. This this song, I like it, but I wish, I expected more from it. And the way it started really disappointed the chorus. The chorus at its core is not awful. It's just, it's... No, no, no. I would I would say that it borderlines awful. The content is just, and I'll be waiting here for you till the sun comes up and the stars fall out. I'll be waiting here for you. You know I will be. I'll be, I'll be waiting, waiting, waiting till the sun comes up and the stars fall out. I'll be waiting here for you. You know I will be. I'll be waiting. Well, so to be I fair, was talking everything, everything I was still sounds, talking music. Oh, okay, okay. Everything sounds a little bit more bland, of course, when you read it and then you subtract the melody. So right. obviously, to you know, 
to anyone listening, yeah, that's going to sound absurd. Yeah, it's just a rephrasing of two sentences back and forth, taking it apart, putting it together in just a proclamation way instead of an interesting maybe playing off of the the pacing of the syllables or anything. The issue There's nothing is going on there. The redundancy and the fact that I find that they do that a lot. It's it's not just a singular case to this track. A lot of choruses throughout this album do tend to kind of go back to that every once in a while. It's like, well, if they have that particular refrain, then usually it is repeated in several different ways. It's repeated by the vocalist in several different ways and then also by the backup vocalist as sort of a call and response thing. You know, it's 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 just there, and, and by the end of the track, you, you, you can't ignore it. But that's not always the best thing. Some of these tracks perhaps will very well get stuck in your head, but I don't know. There's not this that, like, there's not that key moment where I see them doing something new, and that's my biggest problem so far. And that's fair, but let me remind you that getting stuck in your head doesn't mean you like something. Shall I reference Centuries again by... By Fallout Boy, which is probably out of your head, you know, there are and some, now stuck back in it. Yeah, well, there are some deliveries on this album that actually are fairly similar. They follow the same exact structure. Come sure. to think of it, Fallout Boy and, and some of these tracks. One thing I will say that safely irked me, just because it seemed very pointless, is at the end there's a little finger picking guitar outro yeah. that just seemed out of place. It was if like a Spanish song... guitar outro. So all of a sudden, for a brief few seconds, we had a fourth thing, yeah. a completely separate fourth thing having nothing to do with the previous three. Like, it's like what? if there had been heavier guitar work in the chorus and less dance. That outro might have made some sense, but it didn't based on coming out of the chorus for sure. Yeah. It just it was high impact, dancey, like it just it seemed very flat and unnecessary. Yeah. And but that was th- probably the most interesting part. <laughs> Taken, you know, eh, by itself. I like the, the, the first two parts. But anyway, let's move on to the third track and um, the second single from the album, which is Home Will Go. Um, starts with Finger picking guitar, whistling, very kind of folky. Not very Mumford and Sons. Yeah, not Spanish. Spanish. No, just finger picking. Which further implies that the previous finger picking had no bearing on what was coming. Okay. This right away was different. Yes. At least it wasn't so in your face pop. Let's talk about the vocals here because it was probably my favorite element so far. For for a while, for For at least once, we're, we're, we're. being drawn into it, she's she's not, you know, catering herself to, I think, the structure of the song. It seems as if she's just singing and the music is being built around her. She's much more of a, a husky feel here. And also the melodies themselves are much longer. They're kind of drag out. And then beneath that, yeah, you have some tropes, some kind of like Mumford and Sons thing. Because, of course, that's the, the whole... Uh, feel that I get as of that opening whistling and light finger picking that's sort of like indie folk kind of thing that's present here and that would also often be accompanied by a kick drum that was just sort of like steadily pushing it forward but, but there's more of a downtrodden nature here it's got a bit of a gallop but it's almost as if like you're out in the middle of nowhere after all the track Western is feel. well the track says home will go yeah. I mean first of all why even phrase it like that yeah. we'll go home you know it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's sort of a Yoda-ish approach but it's it's it, it adds a little bit of a fantasy to this you know a western fantasy that kind of thing home will go when you feel as if you're just in the middle of nowhere and and you're traveling you're traveling you're alone so all of this is kind of filling that out it's still uplifting because you're going home it has it has this push toward it but also there's that said nature of well it's going to be a long journey and you're alone in the interim some of this i'm just you know putting on here but it's so far it's imagery i haven't had a lot of imagery yet and then finally we get the chorus I have the same comments as as the previous two cases. But there's something here that's a little bit different. While it is a fairly standard 
sort of a hybridization of folk and pop electronica sounds together to build this chorus. As it builds, it does build. That That's one thing. It does gain steam. And it gains steam in a very predictable way. It gains steam, yeah, by subsequent iterations of the chorus having a little bit more impact, a few more layers. Eh, and it goes like into that, that, that sort of... Uh, siren noise at the very end of uh, so many trance so songs. many trance not just trance electronica pop oh the, okay if you're talking, talking about and if then... you're talking about build all right this that, that is a weird thing because yes. if just as far as that transition is concerned i i, I wasn't quite as uh, supportive of that section in, initially because again it's all about imagery it, it it's putting you in a place initially and then it drags you away by the chorus simply sounding like the other choruses on the album. Yeah. And then it starts building in such a way. And you're right, I had forgotten about that. But it builds in the way that, you know, a trance track would build. Of course, you have those, like, faster beats. You know, and the synth is just, you know, out of control at that point. So I'm very confused as to why this is going on at the moment that it happens. But then something rather unique. It gives way to an interesting guitar moment that feels very almost even river dance-esque and it, it and it hangs there for for a moment or two. It doesn't just leave it. It's straight up river dance. It feels it feels like that Irish step very dance. Very Irish yeah. step dance. Yeah, that's the only thing I would compare it to. It's it, it frankly, built off it, of triplets. I mean, lots of just triplets in here. We had pretty boring rhythm up to this point. It's just very straightforward pop, you know, you want to and then all of a sudden it's just like I love it. Um a lot of I think the mandolin slash guitar both are probably present here. They're dueling at some point. Mm-hmm. This is not a terribly long section, but for the duration, it is incredibly intricate. For the for for this section, I can kind of look at it with blinders, ignoring the section that led up to it. I want more of this. I don't know where it fits in their influences, but they're clearly good at it. But more importantly, in my opinion, is the fact that. That build-up, that trance build-up, did not go into what you'd expect it to. Didn't go into that heavy dance breakdown, moving, something you'd see in so many different pop-oriented pieces, so many different uh, club-oriented pieces, where it's just a repetitive beat with a lot of high noises on top of it and a lot of din, 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 the sort of riff that's been around <laughs> since there was a synthesizer to make that riff. Yeah, you're standard backbeat yeah it it did something different they actually sidestepped a trope here they really did and they did it with frankly for me a very beautiful little piece that evolved and that was the coolest part they started introducing those electric elements back into it as it went along well here's the 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 rub i think that i might not be so defensive of the of the manner in which they arrive there but i'm certainly defensive of the place that they arrived at it's not a terribly long section, and eventually we do go right back to the verse, the verse and and, but and, also, and the chorus. This is really just an instrumental. It doesn't really exist in its own thing. We don't hear it ever again on the track. It's a solitary moment. The, 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 what I do want to talk about the vocals for a brief moment in the verse is that I like this kind of husky quality that Sarah's singing with. It's more subdued. It, it, it adds a certain kind of subdued power to the track that I really like. And also, yes, we only get that breakdown once, 
But then when you would think they lead to it again, towards the end of the song, they just let the song end with a guitar riff, which I liked. I like that they don't do it again. I do and don't like that they don't do it again. I would have liked more of it because it was interesting, but I also like that they don't just loop the song. They they let it end. They loop the verse again. They loop the chorus. No, and it's then true. And, it and I guess maybe to some extent, I'm a little glad they didn't revisit that just because then you don't have so much of a cut and paste nature yeah. of it where it's, it's like, well, impact. we need to do that again. No, they did it once and they made their, their point, their statement, and, uh, and it hit home pretty strong. Ultimately, my problem really is the... The kind of departure of theme here. Just, just to hop over to lyrics for a second, because I'm, it's, it's not really, really a long way to go. Just for my interpretation of the opening section, it really does seem to be its own little Western fantasy. Don't let your head hang low. You've seen the darkest skies I know. Let your heart run, child, like horses in the wild. So take my hand, and home we'll go. The sun, it glows like gold. Feel it warm as a burning coal. Let your soul shine bright like diamonds in the sky. So take my hand, and home we'll go. This is actually rather good poetry for the yeah. duration of this verse, and it has a really, really flowing meter to it. And then finally, the, the chorus. Home will go, home will go, home will go. Well, the problem is tone. The opening really, really matched with, I guess, my vision. The idea that it very optimistically looks toward the sunset. It yeah. sees it. There's a glow in the distance, and you feel like you're getting there. But I guess you kind of get more of a... I can't say it's the same kind of gallop that we got maybe on earlier choruses. It's not really quite that to me. Instead, it's just a, a chorus that you're meant to perceive as a gallop. It's just still, still using sound that, that seemed to have departed the whole feel of it. And then, as much as I like it, the instrumental doesn't really seem to fit this at all. I don't know where Irish Step Dance fits into this. Now you're dancing on your way home. I don't know. I, it, it's just it's a little bit of a stretch. For me, and it was the only track so far where they were really, really building something as far as theme. I'm okay at leaving theme at the doorstep, but it's so much better if you include it. And then I just have to wonder why it was a little bit abandoned. I mean, that's a fair question to ask. I think that ultimately the theme for the song was the message of going home, not necessarily matching with the music theme. I understand that the music theme kind of built the setting. But I guess they just didn't want to stay in that setting. Well, for better or for worse, that's they focused more on the lyrical. But uh, to me, th but to me, that says they had an idea, and they just sort of stuck it in. Yeah. You know, it's a great idea. No, no one's arguing that. But sure. you know, work your transitions. You were in looking for bit. something more consistent for the theme of the track. Amongst other things, yes. yes. Okay. All right. Let's go to track four. Hold on. Parenthesis. The break. So this song. It is where, and I, I've had some struggles with the album at this point anyway, but, but this one I really kind of, it was textbook slow pop song, and I just, it was cliche from start to finish. I don't really have a ton of descriptors, unfortunately. I mean, it starts very uh, slow, pop songs would start, very melodic, very just one-dimensional. Very piano. Yeah, well, the one-ish of the dimensions. Yes. It's <laughs> auto-tuned, another thing's back. Yeah. Here's, here's my big stickler. We're getting a lot of duet pieces or harmonizing going on, and they're auto-tuning both voices, and both voices are ending up pretty flat because of that. Like, I, I understand auto-tune is a tool. I've accepted it for the, you know... Um, but when you're harmonizing, you don't do that. You have to let the voices come well, out. Well, also more, more, more accurately, when you're, when you're auto-tuning, it's to add a, a, an interesting effect to a voice... These voices have interesting effects on their own. They don't really need that extra layer. We listened a few times, and remember, we don't have access to the exact uh, 
compendium of, of their tools at their disposal. Sure. We, we listened. I think it might be auto-tune. It also could just be a vocalizer. In sure. which case, to me, it still speaks to the same exact point. It's, yeah. it's like, he has a very distinctive voice. Use it. And then, of course, the fact that it really lends to the overproduced nature of this if you're just clouding your voice behind other effects. It's, I don't know. There was no nothing here that really seemed to warrant it. Beyond that, I'll just go back to an earlier point. You mentioned about the piano being seeming one-dimensional. Of course, a piano is almost the uh, it's an antithesis to a one-dimensional instrument. You can do so much with it. But really here, it's just the bare-bones chords. It's a very, very simple track. Um, and it's on that almost imperfect, upright piano sound, you know, as if it's being played in the background. And again, there's an inconsistency here to me. I don't mean to be harping on this word, but upright pianos are very, very raw. Especially yeah. with the fact that they're really just meant for practice, not really for performing. That that speaks to something. You get you get hues within the fact that you're even hearing an upright piano. That this is this very downtrodden, downplayed work. And perhaps yes, this is a little bit sadder. But then when you mix that in with the overproduced style of his vocals later on, I I don't know what to think anymore. It's just we're kind of all over the map. And here they're starting to actually produce some lyrical content I'm enjoying. Uh, this is the first time I'm really going to point out lyrics that I like. I didn't know just how much I loved you, girl, until you hurled my heart and destroyed my world. When we're apart, I'm a perm without a curl, because ever since the start, you've been the ocean to my pearl. You and I together till death and taxes makes as much sense as a left-wing fascist. But we'll be long times rocking grade nine classes. I know we'll be together till this life passes. Little bit, little bit wordier than what they've done so far, and a little bit unusual gr- grammatically as it's presented. But the big issue here is these words being said, especially in the latter half of what I just spoke. Then all of a sudden he goes from natural to artificial again, and his voice starts jumping dramatically in pitch, and it just it it knocks it off because. It's not just makes as much sense, it's makes as much sense as, and it just jumps I'm gonna, without any natural trans, uh, transition. I'm going to disagree here, actually. This is one of the instances where I was kind of, I don't know. The rhythm I, is good, but the pitch is just so off at parts, I can't, oh, but I can't the t- enjoy the pit, it. You can't, there's no real pitch to speak of. The idea is that it's really more spoken as if it would be within a rap. So the, I, that's to me, that's a, that's a non sequitur, practically. There's really no pitch to speak of to harp on it's it's all meter meter is the focus here it's this this flow where all of a sudden he breaks from the kind of rigidity that you know it's has been pretty present throughout this album earlier tracks kind of had a bit of flow you had the reggae feel well this has more of a hip-hop element to it that lends itself to more interesting meter but yet this had actually been kind of constant for the earlier section it wasn't really anything reaching out then all of a sudden here he just lets loose he lets loose There's a lot of triplets in here he's he's almost acting independently from from the rhythm itself from the from the metronome the tick he's just off on his own thing i really appreciated this and it was kind of like a, a soliloquy or a an aside and then he just kind of wraps it back and then everything is all of a sudden tight again on a first listen because this had been so regular and now all of a sudden you're just sort of tossed in the middle of nowhere this might be jarring to some listeners but really it was it was a reprieve for me see but for me my problem is it just fits into another cliche so many pop songs have a slow meaningful song with a random rap section and it's like this was more spoken word than rap but it just it still felt very cliche structurally 
I mean, I like the lyrics, though. I'm glad John pointed them out because I do enjoy those. You know, they're clever little kind of metaphors that, you know, like you're a perm without a curl. Like, I like that. It's cute. I just, it, the, in the whole grand scheme of the song, it didn't really matter or mean much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of half and half, I suppose, between the two of you. I think it was a, uh, I think it was decent for its prowess. All right, that's fair enough. I mean, well, there is one other cliche we have to talk about, and that is the sweet outro. I don't know how else, the, the, I don't know, the sweet nothings whispering outro they do. It's a back and forth duet between male and female vocalist, and they're just sweetly saying the lines as the song winds down. It's essentially one person continues the phrase of the previous. It's yeah. almost as if it were one continuous phrase that is just broken up between the two vocalists. Right. The male starts, and then the female takes it over, and then the male takes it over again, and the female takes it over again. It's just kind of this, like, you know, trade-off, but it's it's almost a take-or-leave-it idea. It's the yeah. kind of thing that... It's common in love songs, essentially. But even so, like, for a duet, I'm, I guess I'm just genuinely more impressed by the harmonization sure. of it. The idea of just the, well... Unless you're just going to go the cliched route of, you complete my sentence, you know? Right. Which, I mean, you know, sometimes love is cliche. It's just, it is. Anyway, from here we go to track five, which might be one of my favorite tracks on the record. It's a song called Boomerang, and this is where Sarah Blackwood gets front and center and gets to do something very interesting. Um, The groove of the song from the moment it starts is really interesting instrumentally, and I like the way she's singing on this track. It's reminiscent of your um, your uh, Paramore kind of singing or even the band Tat, kind of a punk rock or indie rock kind of female vocalist sound that I really like, that kind of attitude and strength that I really enjoy in those kind of songs. Even before we get to that, uh, let's talk about the, the, the texture here, all of it, sure. just between the electronic sounds. I really, really like the rhythm here. It's probably my most, one of my most favorites so far. The guitar... It acts like the these kind of pops. It's like a guitar is popping along with other little popping sounds between that. It's like this, like tick 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 tick. It's like these wooden sounds. It's still electronic, uh, or between electronic and guitar, but it comes across as being very wooden to me. Um, down finally we go to the chorus. Now this I don't have the same comment as before. It was actually a pretty good transition, and again it's all in the rhythm here. It's all in the emphases. You have a lot of emphasis on the one, and then on the two end. So there's this sort of like almost awkward delay there which is like one and and four and one and three and four i really really dug that it's a little bit more intricate than even that but it's just it provides so much more of a flow there's a developing flow here from the texture of the first section into the rhythm and the 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 strength of the chorus it didn't come across as 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 cliched to me honestly this is just a track where the whole entire thing seemed to be grooving along in 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 a unit well, yeah, and thematically, I enjoy that this song is kind of taking that perspective of the rebound, but it's not framing it as a rebound. It's, you know, saying that someone can be like a boomerang. They come and they go. I like that idea, that metaphor comparing oh, it to boomerang Oh, and that comes back works. again. The male choir steps in, and it's like, oh, oh, oh. And it's like it kind yeah. of rises and then like, falls. And there's almost like this, you know, boomerang throws out, and then it gradually comes back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, for the first time, there's actually some hints at the music trying to like you know reflect the uh the caliber of the lyrics the the theme of the lyrics and beyond that that's not all here this is also not one of the more predictable tracks to be honest this is a a section where the bridge really threw me for a loop it wasn't just a a a standard bridge where you remove a single layer and then you replace it with what just the solo vocals instead this was something 
there was almost like a, a, a gurgle, like an industrial gurgle behind the bridge much later in this track. And then the guitarists step forward beneath that, and they're a lot softer, but very clean. Not too bright, though. They're warm, personable, and it's almost like they're, they're crying as they go forward. This is the most emotional track so far to me, just through music alone. And it's all this through why she's singing, how long, how long can we go around in a circle? How long, how long, don't you want to let go? How long, how long? Can we go around a circle? How long? How long? I mean, it, it it sounds it sounds pathetic, really, to just describe it in terms of lyrics here, because it's all the way the guitar reacts to her. That's that's the power of this track. Um, and that's what I want to see. I mean, that's what a lot of other tracks have been lacking. Sure, you'll have emotional sections if you just take them by the words being spoken, but they they they're nothing without the whole. Well, the presentation here is even more dramatic in the next section. You're a little bit yesterday, but I'm kicking it here today. You're dope at the game you play, but I'm not your boomerang. And the way she says that, that is like the most telling part for me. That's when her vocals, the theme, and the content of the song really just comes together. Because it's that rising boomerang. And when she and the male really pelts it out. Go forward and then down, yep. Um, and then it continues. You're a little bit fire show. I'm a little bit H2O. It's time that I let you go. I'm not your boomerang. And I like that imagery, fire show, H2O, that combination. I also appreciated the the sort of cadence of, of the way she speaks that. I'm a little bit H2O, and it's, it's very playful at that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a whole here, the, the key reason, and this is kind of an important note, the key reason why this track is working for me is because of the, the harsh genre shift here. Uh, I'll retract the word harsh. It's not so harsh. Actually, it's rather... It's still pop. It's still, it's still pop. very much it's a still pop, pop song. But honestly, this dips more toward their indie roots or more toward indie rock roots, the well, kind of stuff that I'd expect in the beginning of 2005. You mentioned power more only in terms of, like, the vocalist herself. She is kind of singing in that sort of powerful but emotional style here yeah. as opposed to just kind of, like, gliding along for the last few tracks. She has been doing that because it's like they've been fairly just carefree and uplifting. And while we do have that carefree and uplifting... Um, theme here at least when she says i know i know you're you're gonna bring me down because we go 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 around it's like i it, she mentions that there's a something dragging her down but that she's going to come right back up again that itself is very similar to the previous themes but emotionally she's just she's hitting it and she's making the leap she's making me believe it the context is there in a lot of ways with this song that we have not gotten yet with the other songs. What are what is she actually empowering herself in? Every song here has had one line or another associated with that idea of building yourself up, of being strong. All of a sudden done, it's a very happy album at this point. It's all about feeling good about yourself. But here we're actually seeing a little bit of that conflict as to why you will not feel good. Well, it's, why you need to be a better person. And that right there, that part of the message makes the message for me just so much more solid in this yeah. song. It's still not, like, really on the nose. I mean, there's a lot of vagueness about this track, too, from the lyrical perspective, but yeah, it's true. If the it's rest of the album had been, like, well, you are you gotta move up, you gotta come back from something. Well, what are you coming back from? This gets well, this... a little bit closer to that, even if I'm just inferring it based on the music, and I reiterate, I think the reason for that is the genre shift. 
like this, I said, it, I think the genre shift very much comes from because the song itself has a lot of pop to it. I think it's the way she's singing. It really does give an attitude and a delivery that's very, very familiar to a lot of female indie rock artists that I really like. It reminds me of the more visceral side of Paramore. Because sure. Paramore could also be very just carefree and uplifting sure, also. Absolutely. And just tracks. I, I remember that track was like the second track on the self-titled album reviewed right. in episode 42, which was just like, yeah, I want to drive fast in my car. Okay, that's pretty just, you know go for it. It's still probably more fun, though, than most of the tracks on this album, but this, at least this time, I see them kind of in the same ballpark, and I would put them on the same playlist, as you usually put it. I, I think I would I would do that here. They can, like, there's a part, of, there's a side of Paramore that I think can really, really cut deep beneath the pop structure, and that's what I see them doing in this particular track. So, that kind of, even if the reason for that is just the fact that they're shifting over to my tastes, they're actually migrating over to my tastes, that's more incidental than anything. I don't know if that's really where they want to be, but they felt like they had to have that kind of track on this album. It just so happens that, to me, that's the most powerful thing. There's more versatility in this genre than there has been for the genres or genre leading up to it. And talking about shifting towards taste, the next track, Sing It All The Way, is something in the vein of Dropkick Murphys and all those sort of songs, Flog and Molly, that I loved uh, back in high school. It's a drinking song. Yeah, but the, the problem here, though, is it's not just a drinking song. It's every drinking song. And, and that's, that's the problem. Yeah, we, got, like, we have full-fledged A, like, B, C, D. It's not one or two Dropkick Murphys, Flog and Molly drinking songs. It's the album worth in one place. As it goes along, it's just different reiterations of the same exact idea with no flair with no fun that you would normally associate with a drinking song there's no anecdotal information going on here that's going to make it really hit home but my biggest problem also is and we've alluded to this before when talking about how songs are named this title track first of all this is the title track if you're going to make something a title track, make it a title track. It should stand out at least a bit. Or fit to the album theme and blend in completely, but it should do something. Secondly, it's called Sing It All Away. Um, in structure, sounds pretty emotional. I know me personally, when I'm singing along to a song, when I'm sad, when I'm happy, when I'm angry, I'm venting, I'm getting wrapped up in it, I'm feeling. I feel nothing from this track. There is an interchange here just between the more like low-key, drunken piano with the, like the scratchy voice accompanying it uh and the chorus vaguely in the background for the verses here and then in the chorus it, it really just amps that up and then all of a sudden everything is that really really high energy stuff again the you want to and triple a triple a triple a triple you know a lot of that stuff it's it's a nice idea but i don't think it could really stand on its own and they they seem to imply in this track that it really can stand on its own. Yeah, they are very forceful with it, and they repeat this chorus several times, and they go back to the verse, and the verse is... There's not really that much of a difference, except maybe that slight interchange between the more downplayed side and the chorus side. Congratulations, that's what a verse and chorus do. But there's nothing else here. There's not really much else in the way of layering, except just that you get a slightly different genre that's this really haven't had anything irish on this album before well now we have the the mandolin and the kind of limerick style lyrics it's just i don't know where to where, i don't know what where i'm supposed to be at this point it just feels kind of very empty and vapid it feels soulless like at least drinking songs from those other bands that we've mentioned the dropkick murphy's fucking molly here even this Dennis is why i really do think though that we've run into a case of of, of sort of a genre wall because we prefer 
certain things on this album based on the genre. Not necessarily on the style, but based on the genre. Yeah. And that could make the song or break the song. And I don't think we've had a case where that was so so harsh before. But, it, I mean, this is lent to the fact that this is a very versatile group. And they can kind of shift in and out of genres as they please. It's just very hit or miss. Well, I stumbled in at 2 a.m. all drunk and full of smoke. My wife, she said, I've had enough. That's it. I'm sick. Get out. So I stumbled down to Kelly's Pub across the edge of town, and I told the boys my story, and we had another round. That is the opening of Dropkick Murphy's Irish Drinking Song, which is the stereotypical Irish drinking song. <laughs> it's called that. But that right there is describing a scene, and that's what drinking songs are so good at. It's describing an idea right away. You're seeing color and texture in the very first lines right away so that you're enjoying it, that you're going there. To, I'm not going to say, though, that this track this is not is doing the, it. This is the antithesis no, of it. No, it's it not. Is. This is the same thing, and that's my problem. No, How? no, it's the same thing without any of the texture, without any of the setting. The only thing you know is that there's drinking going on. But a drinking song is about camaraderie, so you have to be able to put yourself there. That's there's here. There's no way. All of that is here. I don't see any of that. I know a place that will take you away. Your troubles no longer remain from the day. I found a love there. It's hard to escape. It cures me at night, but it's but it hurts when I wake. But there's, there's no, 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 no. There's no judge and the jury's at bay, because this is our house where melodies play. It, if worries still linger, my friends and I say, top, top up your cup. <laughs> top up your cup. And let's sing it all the way. That, that is the core of what drinking songs are about. It's the idea behind the opening theme to Cheers. But there's no personalization there. There's nothing to associate with the camaraderie that they're trying to imply here. There's nothing to say, oh, maybe I don't know, make generic whatever or whatever they're going to <laughs> make do. generic, yes. There you go. It's me being slightly racist. But it's... It does not work in this sense because this is just the basic blueprint of an idea of what a drinking song song is. But I be think about. that's what a drinking song is. A drinking song is a basic blueprint. No, but I'm saying that without that basic blueprint, without any personalization, the basic blueprint does nothing. Does absolutely that nothing. I agree with. That's the point I was getting at. That's what I was talking about. Without any idea of what's going on here, besides there's drinking. What do they have? And then the next phase, next part of the song, a little bit happier, a little bit more cheerful, a little bit heavier. It's just more drinking. It's just more the idea of sing it all away, sing it all away, my darlings. Okay. Well, we seem to be on two slightly different points, but they're very close. I'll, I'll simply conclude that this is a... My main issue is just the whole been there, done that thing. It's not necessarily that of context. The drinking song can kind of work, but also it's just been done a billion times and i don't again it's all placement uh, frankly at this point ha having followed a track i was really really invested in i mean on like a quick spotify listen i i heard an advertisement that was a little bit more interesting than this because of one simple reason they were featuring some track i forget what it was like martin jesmond but it was doing something new it was doing something fresh and that's the thing i am lacking despite the tightness of this group this is the thing i'm lacking at this at this juncture. I'm, I'm lurking for it, I'm waiting for it, and I see it only in, in sparse doses. Let's go to track seven, Climb Out Your Window. Boppy reggae, right away, with a little dash of hip-hop on top of it, which is a lot of the descriptors we've been talking about already. The theme work here is kind of borrowing from two or three tracks from the previous 
part of the album. This reminds me also of a pop album that I had brought on back in episode 143. That was uh, Shawn Mendes, uh, Handwritten, which was, he's a young guy. He was only like 16 years old, but he was doing a lot of this stuff. He was getting into that sort of, the kind of reggae that would be brought in by Jack Johnson, by uh, Jason Mraz, you know, this sort of thing. And I kind of get that here. I even was perhaps more interested in this track because of uh, the texture again. Lots of snaps and muffled trumpet in the background. That was particularly interesting. Didn't expect that, but they brought it in. Dug it. Aesthetically, the song setting-wise feels like a parade or a street performance of a party. It reminds me actually of a song that we reviewed way, way back when we did the Flowbots. Um, they have a song, One Last Show, and One Last Show had the same aesthetic. It was this kind of party, everybody sing, dance in the street. You could picture a parade float going down. This had the same aesthetic. M- Music-wise, it wasn't quite the same, but that that's not what I'm talking about here. It's purely just setting-wise. This song feels like you're going to climb out your window, land on the street, and just dance down the street with your friends singing it, this song. And it almost Which instantly... Which is how I described a lot of those Sean Mendes right, tracks. Right, right, right. It almost instantly goes from one or two people in the street calling out to all the people to join the parade, and then the parade. Yeah. They gather in a heartbeat. But that transition... And this is one thing that I have to say. It was pretty cool. It, was, it wasn't just pretty cool. It was amazing. I just did not really enjoy the preceding or following parts of what was going on. Yeah, this is actually the inverse, I think, of something that happened earlier. Yeah, this happened back in the case of the trance um, transition that went to the really, really cool river dance section. That was right. a few tracks ago where I hated the transition and I was so incredibly satisfied with where it landed me. And then here it's the exact opposite. I loved this transition. It was sort of like this bongo roll combined with a trumpet in the background. And the trumpet mm-hmm. had been there from the beginning. It's a sort of like muffled trumpet that, again, it it doesn't seem to fit in here, but they make it work. That, to me, is a really, really new element. The way they were kind of combining that with the whole reggae thing. Maybe that is a little bit Scottish, Not in the brash, like, outlandish way of Scott, but I kind of appreciate the reserved nature here. Still, expert use in this transition. And then it, it rolls that... that, that that was a great moment. And then where do we land? The same chorus as in track one, track two, track three. Except it's more parade-like. Maybe. There is more parade going on here. <laughs> more of thing. Accentuate thing. It's, that doesn't do anything it's, for me. It's probably even more numbing because of how insistently repetitive it's it is. It's the same rise. This is Look, this is kind of the way I think you've described a lot of things in previous weeks. It's just like... If you were to view this on some kind of chart, if you were to view the wave file, and you would compare all these tracks side by side and look at where the verse is and then where the chorus is, I feel like you'd see the same exact degree of expansion. The same exact, like, all right, we're at these decibels, you know, for the verse. And then all of a sudden, we're here, and it just stays that that compressed, compressed plateau. And it's the same for most of these tracks. You don't get that versity of, of, uh, of, of motion, of, of volume. Of, of gradient. Yeah, of gradient. Why not? I mean, this is just... I'm very confused by the fact that they they consistently harp on this. I, I, I know that courses a lot of times are what audiences are waiting for, the hooks, the, the ones that they'll, they'll probably chant on and on and on, but after a while, they start to all sound the same. Still, this probably wasn't my most... the most disagreeable section of this track for me. It was another one of those WTF moments, and that was the guitar solo. Yeah, there was just a random guitar solo that didn't even be... It wasn't like... So, 
here's the things about the guitar solo. One, it was fairly <laughs> masturbatory, which we've talked about. That alone wasn't the problem. It's the like problem, a classic rock guitar solo also, yeah. genre-wise. Right. It's another oddball. But the biggest problem with that is that it wasn't, like, if the music had dropped out and we just had a classic rock guitar solo and then it went back, okay, it would be a little odd, but I'd say, all right, they want to fit your guitar solo. Fine, whatever, fuck it. But that's not it. It's mixed with everything else. There's still the other eight layers, and those eight layers... They kind of drown out the guitar solo. You know it's there, but it's just in the mix and doesn't fit anywhere. And also the fact that it's... Well, actually, this is probably both a pro and a con. The fact that the guitar solo is short, yeah. thank God, but also really why? weird. Yeah, yeah, why? Really well, weird. Okay. That means that was just a thing again. And they've had hey, so look, many here's the thing. Here's from the, thing. The, marching, here's the thing. From the marching band, they were establishing all of a sudden... Some past classic rock guitarist who may have passed away rose from the grave as they went by the cemetery and had to join the parade. He had to. The power was too much. And now I'm just getting fanciful because I can't think of any other explanation. Well, in that case, he rose from the dead and then they shot the zombie and it went back down. But then he came up again later on. And frankly, this time he brought a little bit more pizzazz because there was a final show of this guitar solo at the tail end of the track. So you only get two of them in total. And here this time, it was actually a bit more playful. And it was reacting with the texture that was present earlier. And it wasn't as self-serious. Because the thing is, the earlier guitar solo sounded like it was literally just spliced out of, like, an older classic rock track or classic rock album. Yeah. It was not Walk Off the Earth at that moment. You know, it was not this album at that moment. At the end, though, it strikes me more as the kind of wry stuff that they might do. And again, if you approach this album a little bit more optimistically, as perhaps I have up to this point, then it does seem like they have a sense of humor about themselves. Otherwise, why would they just combine all these random things together? I'm not saying they were done expertly in every single case, but a lot of times they were clever in their own way. This last one, I think, is one of those moments. So you don't get the entirety of the track working, but you get portions of it working. It's very, very hit or miss. Have to take it by the moment. I mean, I'll interject here and say that I'm convinced they have a sense of humor. It's not something to gauge. I remember in the Korean effects uh, cover they did of um, Trouble. Trouble by Taylor Swift, Korean effects did all, I mean it was all acapella and he did tons of beats and beat work just with his mouth at the end of the video in the extended cut they show the drummer turning Korean effects off and wheeling him out so like they have a sense of humor I just I'm not always seeing it here it doesn't seem like this is with intent of humor that said well also this, well, I, I seem to get the idea that this whole track like lyrically is almost a a meta reaction to their own uh, popularity. You never hear it on the radio. You never see it in the video. They never play it at the disco. So watch out. We play it everywhere to go. They try to change our ways, our love, our faith, our home, our heads. We play it everywhere we go. We play it everywhere we go. Can't coming in the studio. You can't get it with the logo. You can't ride it at a rodeo. So watch out. We ride it everywhere we go. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a strange, like, I, 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 it's still very vague. Yeah. It's as vague as just about everything in this album so far. But it's called Climb Out Your Window. It's a very strange... I mean, it's almost as if they're trying to escape this kind of, like... Sneak out of your parents' house. Well, uh, in this us. case, sleep, uh, sneak out of the, the label's yeah. recording studio. Um, I, I mean, it could I don't be. Know. I don't know. This is just an idea. I'm throwing an idea out there. You're having a I think John it, moment. It's fine. But if you combine that with the fact that they include so many random little ideas, it's almost as if it's like, well, people are tugging them this way, they're tugging them that way... So, why not just let loose? I don't know. If that's the sense of humor, then sure. 
But th- but then that's sure. just it. And that's it. Exactly. That's, the, that's, that's the period. Sh- I, I have no gets, footnote to that. It gets a Stephen sure. Yes. Like, that's what it gets. Exactly. Um, from here we go to track eight, California Trees. So if the last song were to represent a dancey, breezy summer, this one definitely represents a strolling, solemn fall. Um, it... Oh, but it's still kind of... Well, no, it's a little well, solemn. But it's, it's a little solemn, but it's sweet. It's So, okay. The California <laughs> Trees feels more natural than previous tracks. It, it, it's got this kind of strolling feel to it. It feels very folky. It, 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 we can only describe this through the lyrics. Yeah, that's fair enough. Go for All it. my leaves are fallen. Still I'm heading down this road. Kind of wish it wasn't such a long, long way to go. So I keep on calling, calling out to those who know. Where the leaves aren't falling, I'm heading out to California. Because we can get high, we can get higher, we can get louder. We can get louder, we can get louder. So young, and we're trees, and we want to go up. Till we get, till we go so high, we'll never come down. You won't know, you won't know, till you find your California tree. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone's maybe more confused. But it starts off... All my leaves are falling. This is another one of those, I was in a low place, but we're getting better, and yeah. we're getting higher. We will go to a higher place. We actually had a hard time prior to this figuring out whether the speaker is the tree, after all my leaves are fallen, yeah. and there is a lot of imagery as if you actually are a tree, but then, of course, then it just yields to, well, I'm heading out to California, and unless I check, trees are fairly sedentary. Yeah. So, you know, unless but, we can, but we can get higher, and trees can go higher. It's but you can also get higher if you're just climbing a tree. So frankly, I'm more inclined to 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 infer that this is just another one of those like really, really uplifting. You're out in the sun. You're in the outdoors. You're having fun, kind of hipstery tracks, and you're just all barefoot climbing trees and having a grand old time doing it. This is the the perfect example as to why the overwhelming happiness of this album is potentially to its detriment. The one song I really enjoyed was Boomerang, thus far. And I'm mm-hmm. bringing this up because it actually had some context of subtly explaining the bad that's going on. Here, the only bad that really is going on is in the beginning, all my leaves are fallen. And from there, it's just like, but things are okay. Things are good. Things are getting better. It's getting better all the time. Mm-hmm. That song actually talks about the bad things and why it's getting better. This album talks about... It's getting better. It's all good. There's, there's once again, just no context. I gotta say, this is really a, a sorrowfully um, amazing example to that thing that arises frequently with us, where it's just like, for the most part, the more depressing music does tend to be, at least it, it, it yields more conversation. Certainly sure. because, of course, well, people go to each other and they talk about our problems. It's just human nature, and normally that... That's about like ninety percent of it, and even if you can have like a really, really great time just talking about your problems, and 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 you know you can make jokes in the meantime, it still kind of all comes back to that again because we're interested in each other's fallacies less so than perhaps our successes. Once you're at a success, then it's like, all right, great, that thing's solved. Next thing. Well, also, I mean, to slightly aside, there are many bands that have come from a place where they do 90% positive and get completely ignored than the first breakup song and everyone's paying attention. I mean, look at No Doubt's career. Their first album, their self-titled, was ska, it was fun, it was upbeat, and it kind of got overlooked. It was a good album, but people didn't pay attention. But then Tragic Kingdom comes out after the guitarist and Gwen broke up, and they wrote this whole album around the band trying to stay together, and this heartbreak, and Don't Speak was 
huge, humongous. And yeah. it's because it's coming from a very personal place that when you have that kind of real pain, sometimes feels more real than just generic happy, which sometimes is less relatable. Yeah, and this works both with lyrics as it does with music. Yes. A lot of times I just kind of gloss over a lot of happy-sounding music, you know? It, unless it's like Boss the Walls happy like funk, and you know my argument on funk yeah, and yeah, why it's yeah, the yeah, best yeah. thing ever made. Uh, well, but, it's also extremely interesting. It has that going. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, either go Boss of the Wall with your happiness, or please, just, you know, shed me a tear. Just something, <laughs> something. Even if that tear is just in that little guitar weeping uh, boomerang. Well, yeah, fair enough. I mean, I don't know. I If you want, okay. You got any more to add? Cause no. Let's go on to the next track. If because if you want subtly happy, uh, you're not gonna get it here. Track nine. All right. Okay. You might as well have <laughs> just called the song. It's nice. <laughs> you, you might as well have. All it right. It is pure teeny bop pop. And but even beyond that, it's just it's 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 even tropier than tropier stuff we've heard before at this point. I feel like. There is absolutely zero new in this song. Whereas, at least in the first track, we had a reaction to it. We didn't love it. We kind of, some of us hated it. Some of us thought it was okay. But we had a reaction to it. This, I had nothing. I just had nothing to give. Steve, do you have any musical-related stuff you want to talk uh, about for this track? I had some of those comparisons to the Shawn Mendes stuff. Also, some of those comparisons to the One Republic stuff. Sure. Two albums that were okay in yeah. their own right. Um, they were nice. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, comparisons directly to this own al- to this album itself in yeah. tracks one and two. Um, it was all rise, or it tried to be all rise. Eh, it was that it was it was a high plateau, and it was trying to rise from there. Yeah, I'll, I'll spout out another little self cliche here that my frequent go to department store pop. I, yeah. But, you know, I, the funny thing is actually I use that in, in two very, very different ways. I use that in the sense that, well, if you're shopping and then you come to that point where actually you stop shopping and then you're like, ooh, I really like this. In other words, it has a mellowness that is almost, I don't know, it's irresistible in its own right. way, but the, this is the other thing. This is the one where I don't even notice it and it's just there and I continue shopping and I leave without realizing that it was really ever on. In other words, the goal of of uh, department store music was just to kind of placate you and and keep you going, right? That way you're not perturbed from sh- or or disturbed, or deterred from shopping. Three words to get to that. Funny anecdote about that. I actually heard a song we made that reference and allusion to in a department, well, sort of department store, in a retail space. Um, Alt-J and their song Left Hand Free, which we said was so out of place because it was just a pop song that was on back their in, album. Back in episode 120. And we were able to confirm, and I, I didn't hold it against, get it held against me when I brought on the album itself, that it was made specifically to hit the charts in the United States. That said... And it did so... That said, I was in a Trader Joe's earlier today as we were as of when we were recording and I heard that song on their radio. So, Steve was right. Essentially. <laughs> I called it as being that department store song. And I know other instances where really that kind of failed at least against some of the people I know in terms of really selling that album because it is the worst song to sell an otherwise really really good album. Yes. But this song also did in my opinion the worst faux pas to date on the album. It ended, and it ended a little bit sweetly and could have been left there. And like so many songs before it, but, uh, and like so many other songs that have come before it, it decided to do the chorus again. And to do the chorus again at as high of a freaking level of energy as it could. The same chorus that we heard already two, maybe three times previously. The song ended sweetly. It did. 
there was kind of a little bit of a turn right there. It was a little bit of a well, there was breather. A moment, there was a, it was a moment that it could have just relaxed and faded away. There was a moment where it could have done something else, too. But what does it do? Chorus! Chorus! Yay, the final reprise. Go. Maybe a little bit louder than before. I like that. The final reprise. Yes. No, the final reprise comes at the end of the album. Oh, God. Oh, well. All right. When the confines of the track. From here we go to track 10. Heart is a weapon. Heart as a weapon. Heart as a weapon. Oh, heart. No. Heart is a weapon, is the title. As okay. in, your heart is a weapon. Okay. The bodily organ. Another one weapon. of those three tries get to this. Yes. <laughs> the right thing. That said, this... which this was the, in my opinion, potentially coolest song on the album, though it didn't end up being that way. It potentially could have been the coolest song on the album because this was. It was all rise. This was probably the truest all Again. rise. Actually, actually going up only. And that's something we hadn't really got yet. Well, I finally have some, I guess some arc, I think, actually on the album. Because the idea behind this track is actually, when it begun, we have this more impactful sound. Everything sounds a lot more urgent. And it's almost like this action-oriented 80s film or a more fantasy driven 80s film the kind of thing that is like yeah you got to defeat the bad guy and, it, and it, that, that's the only thing you can do so it's, it's it's urgent well sure thematically that kind of fits with the album too you have to overcome your demons they're bad guys in a way right so overcome them but musically we're kind of reflecting that through the lens of an action sound I mean it is a little bit more intensive it makes you feel as if this kind of thing is urgent and to fail would be you'd lose the battle with yourself in this case but at least this way you're you the music is the metaphor you don't even need it in the lyrics well this is also not internalized i mean he's singing about someone else and that their heart is a weapon and cuts like a knife and that kind of a thing but it does have that urgency i think that the, the pace the song moves at is what i really like it just it felt different from a lot of the previous pop stuff we were getting sure it's still not breaking boundaries but because it at least was different enough from what we had gotten before, I kind of got wrapped up in it. But the problem here is that it wasn't just for a 1980s science fiction exploration cool thing. It was for Thundara, cyborg warrior priestess of the 27 known galaxies. It was that <laughs> level of trope. It hit like Flash Gordon level of trope where it's just way too over the top. Emphasis on Flash Gordon for this album which doesn't really say much because obviously we know that the Queen Flash Gordon track is larger than life and it's out of this world. Well, of but course. And there's a lot of other uh, tracks that have been done for real solid Yeah, it's not the musical reason, like, it's it's the actual it, impact of the movie itself reason. Well, it, you know, it's also just in terms of the context of this album. This album has been so just mellow so far that it's like, I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna take this in its, in its, the dose that it gives me. Also, lyrically, this is another case that kind of maybe answers John's hopes uh, as of earlier when he was like, alright, well, there's not too many lyrics on this album that are actually speaking toward the problem. This track kind of speaks exclusively toward the problem you're right in, in terms of looking at your heart is a weapon this is the story this is the thing that happened i wished somebody told me your heart is a weapon it cuts like a sword your heart is a weapon can't take it anymore change your direction stop banging on my door your heart is a weapon can't take it anymore we're kind of in the misery we're living yeah. there he this is going through his mind right now and it doesn't really seem like there is that message at the end like 
I'm gonna overcome this. No, it's Instead, just... it's just like yeah, it's really him just living there. The music obviously it still has that imminent feel, as if like, well, this is a battle you're fighting, mm-hmm. and the implication is the album would have you is that you're gonna overcome this. But for the for a while, you're at least immersed in the problem. Gotta appreciate. But the problem becomes more of just an opening credits to a television show, and that's where it just loses me. It's too insistent. It's trying to build up too much hype yeah. towards this character that it's just it's it's as bad as like the first Xena opening credits, which were a little bit divergent as it goes along. And for those of you who don't know Xena, Lucy Lawless, watch it, you'll love it. <laughs> It just it's just the warrior princess. I mean it just goes a little bit too far there's to a mo- overhype this. There's a moment here where it does kind of pull back. It's sort of an instrumental goes in kind of a bridge where everything is a little bit more muffled. Almost sounds like someone is dying or like the battle is wind- winding down or he's having kind of an aside at this moment. Like this is his soliloquy after all he's narrating the problem. So they take a moment just for everything to just simmer down. And they do inevitably build it back up again, but I, it wasn't it wasn't the all-rise thing. It wasn't the solid block. There was some diversity in here, and I guess this is I'll take it at this point in the album. I'll take it. Yeah, I'm I'm on the same page as Steve. I actually kind of like this song just because of the urgency and the structure and the setting. Um, from here we go to track eleven. We got love. We got love. So very typical piano intro, very sweet. Uh, did it? Hmm? Not typical. Not typical. I actually really like this intro. This okay. intro was different again from a texture perspective. It's well, like I a, meant it's like a McCartney. So I didn't mean the piano was typical. I meant a piano intro. The was, fact that there is one. Yes, but I still I still can't put it in that in that category because okay. of the way it was mixed. This okay. was very very soft and 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 downplayed as if it were just in the background and you know you just completely distorted its way to the final cut almost as if it were like an old uh, old timey track like a robert johnson track or something like that of course it's piano so it's clearly not and the chords themselves almost are a little bit mccartney-ish still i was appreciating that because if you're looking at the album as a whole the instrumentation for the most part is almost too tight it's 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 as if I, I can't even see this being performed live. Everything is just so high energy, or as I said earlier, high octane. And it's almost like it can only be manufactured, or it can only be made for studio production. Of course, that's not true. I'm sure they have tours. I'm sure they're very great at it, and probably people will get a surprise, because I think it'd be very hard to reproduce this. But instead, this is just... It's so tailor-made, it's hard to let it breathe. And I love the, the, the breathing that is present on this album. One of these samples is just those first few seconds of this piano intro. For the most part, it's almost like just to experience this album is like watching the, uh, the annoying smoothing effect that you get on HDTVs. Like, it's so just perfect. You, you, you can't believe it. Like, I would take a CRT any day to, like, that overdone high-definition DVD or something like that. I get you. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. There's a little bit of a, the uncanny valley effect. Yeah. Think Even th- though it's actually it, live, it, it comes off as a little bit too artificial. It's proven in the tracks that we have tended to like on this album. Most of them tend to be just a little bit more low-key. Or when they get a little bit more raw, just like flat-out reggae. Great. All right. I, that's something I can relate to. But the choruses, for the most part, are things I can't relate to, which is why I became really disturbed, really annoyed when this... Un, sort of unrefined piano intro just yielded to a really unmemorable chorus. And really overproduced, and I, and I just I can't take it. And it, uh, this one was, was also had one, one stickler for me that almost became 
a legitimate annoyance, and that was the beat itself. It was just one, two, one, two. Very insistent, very little flair around it. It was just so ever-present and so driven that it, it kept any of the natural flow in the lyrical work or in the vocal work from shining through. It, it regulated everything to the nth degree in this case. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, this is not as, as high energy as some of the other tracks in this album. It's a little bit more low, but actually it's probably one of my more primary problems has to do with the, the lyrics here, the whole consistently going back to, well, na 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 yeah, we got love. na 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 that's the thing about us. na 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 we got love. You and me, blah, blah, blah. We got love. I don't know. It, it's it's I, like, well, at least this is what we have. So obviously the album was seeking to, you know, bring us to a higher place and a place of safety the entire, the, for the entire ride, and now we found it. Well, we got love. Great. And now, track 12. Home Will Go, Take My Hand. I do really hesitate to include this in the mix, but yes, it's part of the album. It is it's, part of the album. It's um, it's a remix though. It's it's Home Will Go. It's the track that we got on uh, what was that track three? Yes. 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 So this song, just for reference, also is remixed by Steve Aoki, and Steve Aoki is a well-known DJ. He's worked with tons of other artists, from Snoop Lion to to, to Rivers Cuomo, Mike Shinoda. This album is actually featured on his record. Um, I believe it's Neon Lights to uh, Neon Future Two, and this exact song. And so I'm guessing it was featured on his album. And Walk Off the Edge said, "Oh, we love that. We want to put it at the end of our album too." Now, if you want to go back, and we'll give you a moment. Okay, the moment's over. And listen to their previous explanation of track three. I did explain one thing, and that they sidestepped a trope of going from that trancey all-rise into something that was annoying, repetitive, and really just extremely predictable. In fact, what they did was they sidestepped something that you could find on basically any synthesizer you could get at Toys R Us. Well, here, we got it. We got exactly that. They took the one unique factor that I thoroughly liked about track three, the original rendition of Home Will Go, that, that breakdown that was a little bit core, a little bit folk, a little bit pop, it was interesting. It was sweet. Addition, uh, in addition to that, there's also the whole theme thing, the idea behind, well, Home Will Go, and we had imagery there, and it seemed to be fulfilling that, at least for the duration of the verse. Kind of ruined it in the trans, uh, in the trans transition, and then, well, we got compl- something completely separate in the whole river dance segment, which though was bizarre, was also really awesome, and yeah. then we kind of wrap it back. But at least there's a there's a hint. There's an element, and we noted it. And we didn't get it here. Uh, it was gone. It was completely changed up. It was completely replaced with 1990s standard musical progression for anything electronic. Well, like a this DJ. Is, it's exactly... I mean, this is a remix, of course. Uh, you said it was... EDM. He's an EDM artist, and this was his a remix feature oh, on his album, and Neon I'm not, Features 2. I'm certainly not disparaging the genre at all, but I just... Why this? Why this? You know, and I, of course, he, he, he did pay homage to the band by just doing... Maybe it was just a side project for him, and maybe he submitted it, and maybe they just decided to throw it on because, well, it's it's polite to do that, especially when someone honors music in, in such a fashion. But I just... I don't know. It's, it just seemed kind of pointless on the record anyway. Usually mixes like this are bonus tracks. They're not part of the album progression. Yeah. It just seemed like it wasn't You could always Sometimes, treat it like a Christmas card and just put it on your mantle. No, you know? I, Why do you have to, like... 
I don't know, regifted. <laughs> it, I would even hesitate to truly call it a, a legitimate remix because the parts he didn't touch, he didn't touch at all. Didn't touch. Yeah, no, he right. The he parts didn't... he did change pay no homage back to the original idea. There's no connection between the two. Well, it's, it's, the, river, it's the river dance smi- section, right? We just don't get that, and instead we get the EDM section. Well, Which has no bearing on the river dance section. There's no nod. There's no nothing. To it's be a fair, re-splice. To be there's fair, we discussed else. the fact that the river dance section also really had nothing to do with it. It just kind of suited me because it's awesome. And this isn't. This, this- it, just, it just flat out is not awesome. Well, the, you know what it does show? It shows that, it, it, especially them sort of sanctioning this being passed on in the album, that the Riverdance section really was just a placeholder, and it never really had much of a, a connection with the theme. If it was a placeholder, then why not just use another placeholder? They're as interchangeable as anything. I, I feel That's like, what it shows. I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like your harsh reaction to it, John, is only because you know of the previous. I feel like if this was the only version released, you just... No, 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 because I specifically... And I will. This is this is a word of mouth. God, wherever it's coming from. The first time I heard "Home Will Go" track three, I expected exactly what this track delivered. Exactly what this track delivered. First thought when "Home Will Go" actually went into that river dance, I went, "Oh, they didn't screw it up," and that was pleasant. They <laughs> screwed it up. All right, let's move into the wrap up and. I will this time voluntarily begin. Because I don't usually. <laughs> yes, we know. Usually you we, you fight kicking and screaming to go first. To be fair, we pin that on you often, so it's fair enough. Yeah, well, that's all right. I got balls. I can do it. Strangely, we do rate music, I think, by the new stuff they bring to the table. I mean, it's part of it, for sure. Absolutely. It's a big part of it. Sure. It's It's probably more than a big part of it. I think that newness is really what we're looking for today and maybe that actually has changed in terms of like the the evolving mores of the time i think perhaps if you were to go back several decades there was a time in which well when people like a genre they want more of the genre if you can reproduce copy or continue in the fashion of your contemporaries that was probably a positive thing because that was a surefire way for you to move forward i'm not saying that's not true today but i think that especially as far as critics are concerned other critics not just us we're just three people um it really does seem to be a big element yes they will make references and we often make references into who they will be pleasing at any given time depending upon what genre they might they might use but when you have such a mixed bag of it i think that's really my main gripe because you're you're between versatility, which on one hand is a positive thing, and then between that and and losing your audience. Because when you are so many different things, then you're only whoever you need to be at at, at certain moments, and that that's just it creates a very disparate audience. I'm sure they have a very solid audience, but it's just as far as an album is concerned, I just don't think this is terribly craftily put together. I think it's a lot of samples of what they're good at. And I just don't think they're really blended in, in a way that we often find and we're often impressed by, like fusion, you know? Then we'll say, all right, this clearly is influenced by two things, but what have they created? Something wholly new. Instead here, we're just left with the commenting on the various layers that may be entering here and there, or just the harsh shifts as we go from verse to chorus. And those splices are just, I don't know. They don't, 
they don't flow together with me. I'm just transported to an entirely new land. And then their safety zone, actually, is probably one of the areas that I take most uh, uh, issue with on this album. Their safety zones is the pop that isn't never even really particularly impressed me as far as other genres are concerned. You know, the the more the Katy Perry-ish stuff. I, this is not the stuff I like really, really looking to. Yes, Katy Perry has done good work, and all pop artists have done good work, but I feel like they exist within such a, a um, accessible framework. There's, there's not that new thing. And in each element where they introduced something new, albeit separate and isolated cases, that is something where I can say, all right, I have been surprised by this in the past. I have been surprised by various renditions of Irish folk or surprised by by uh, really expert interpretations of EDM or, of course, by indie rock, which burgeoned out into, its in- into an incredibly uh, diverse thing in the mid-2000s. Um, up till now, in fact, it's still pretty diverse. Maybe it's losing some steam, but for a while there, it was just, it seemed to be where it's at. Every indie rock band was creating a whole thing unto themselves. It's like, well, is it indie rock? Because that's not terribly descriptive. No, it's, oh, The Killers, or it's Franz Ferdinand. They were punchy, and they made their point, certainly with Paramore as well. And just with this, I don't know, I can't pin down that walk-off-the-earth sound. I can identify good performers, but on this album, it's not the greatest showcase. I think this is uh, a 2.75. I say that because it's a little below, honestly, uh, the, the One Republic sound. That, the, that was back in episode 41, I think. That was a very generic pop sound, but I also remember that it did have a kind of distinctive sound to it. At least had you could identify them. And I also remember that lyrically it was coming from a very, very deep emotional place. It was just it wasn't hitting the marks in terms of... In terms of a, a pop album, it wasn't in terms of the music itself. It was not delivering upon you know that emotional place. It was just really a guide to to say things. You know, I sympathized, but it just wasn't there. That's why I just couldn't quite give it the three because there just wasn't that that blend here. This to me, it may seem strange that it's a little bit less because actually there were musical elements here that I enjoyed far more than I did on that One Republic album. The main reason, though, is because I, I'm not getting that signature sound and the emotional place isn't really even reached for me. I don't really feel much of anything on this album. I'm just sort of intrigued occasionally, but not throughout. There are moments where they do a thing and I, I, I just can never link it back. I'm always just like, okay, I'll accept that. I would maybe, if I like had this on a on a DAW, I would just flat out splice that out, and I could learn things from it. But there's just no link with the whole, and that's why I just have to put it a little bit below that that One Republic. So uh, that's where I'm at. Okay, I think the word that might best describe what's going on here is that they are pop distilled. They're distilled from all the branches that pop has has grown to over the last decade or so. All the various areas, and in some cases these go back a lot further than decades, but these are a lot of the same themes we see over and over and over again. They didn't make them their own, and that's my big issue. There's no personality here that is identifiably walk. And for the, for me to say that, I have nothing against pop. We've done a bit of pop at this point, and some of my favorite albums have actually been pop. But those are popped-owned, popped-chosen, and transformed into something that was pop-plus. This is and pop. This is Indian pop. This is reggae and pop. 
and pop is not a genre. It is not an idea. It is just a grouping of different sounds that all are in the same area. And these sounds all have a lot of the same tropes over and over again. And that's what we got here. Pop Plus is cool. And that's the sort of stuff that I had already seen Walk Off the Earth do. So for me, this is a step backwards. This is really a step to try to appeal to the most broad of audiences they could possibly find. Because they were sampling from everything that was and is popular. And that just doesn't work as an idea. There's no focus. Taking that and my earlier gripe talking about it's just happy. It's just too much of rise. It's just too much of trying to make yourself feel better. But why are you trying to feel better? Why are you trying to get out of a dark place? Is it even a dark place? There's one whole reference in these songs to that idea. So there's one reference in all these songs to a context as to why we have to be building or climbing or going home or being hopeful or waiting for someone. One reference in Boomerang. And that's the only song I will say up front that I really enjoyed. So, all said and done at the end of the day, 2.5. It's it's not even average. It takes averages and tr- average ideas and just tries to put them together and it's not the sum of its parts. I'm conflicted with this album, frankly. Um, I mean, it's no secret that I tend to listen to, I guess I could safely say more pop music than both of you guys. I mean, that may actually be something debatable depending on where we're looking in the range of pop. But that said, I'm leaving the blanket statement as is. I like Walk Off the Earth a lot. I loved their first EP. I loved it when it became a full record. I've been listening to this for about a month because I saw it come up on Spotify under new releases. Like, oh, new Walk Off the Earth. We probably won't do it, so I'll listen to it a bunch. And at a glance, listening to it, you know, in the background at my old job before I started my new job, which requires a lot more focus, you know, I enjoyed it. I bought my head to it. It was catchy. I enjoyed it. Kind of had the same experience with Fallout Boy. Fallout Boy, however, when we reviewed it, I had a much harsher reaction to it once I... The Matrix code was way more visible with that. You know, I, <laughs> I kind of saw for what it was. And I will admit, I still like three or four songs from that album a lot. One of them being Centuries, just because it's so damn catchy. But quality-wise, it's still not really there. I enjoy a bunch of songs from it, but as a whole, the album was still kind of not great. To supplement that, I like one song from this album and three or four parts of others. Yeah, well, that's fair. For me, this album I enjoyed more than than Centuries, or I think the album was called Centuries. I don't know. It was called American Beauty, American Psycho. Oh, wow. That was the name of the album. That's how pervasive that song is. It Um, is replacing words. Right, but he was looking for the album name, which which I repeat is American Beauty, American Psycho. We reviewed it in episode 138. So, I mean, that said, and thank you, Steve, for filling in the gaps. As you always do with your incredible knowledge of our episodes. Definitely oh. 138. Definitely Def- 138. Definitely. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I, I think that this album is average to me. I hear what you're saying, and I'm not trying to argue with the fact that, that there are disappointments, but rating Walk Off the Earth and the talent I know they have at average is a disappointment to me. Enough. Um, I, I get what you're saying and what your discrepancies are, but I just didn't... I just didn't have as much of a visceral reaction to some of the songs on this album. Some songs I did, absolutely. But 
as a whole, the, the majority of the 12 tracks, maybe nine of them, I enjoyed. Three of them I thought were really, really enjoyable. And then there were at least three that I was just like, what am I listening to? But all in all, it's an average album for me. I, I'm not going to rate it lower than that. I think that the skill brings it up to that point. I think that you're right, though. The lyrics do hurt it a lot. I mean, they are emotive people, and these lyrics are not there. Um, and it's a bummer. But but I think as far as albums go, it's fairly average. It did definitely lose some of its weight for me as I listened to it more, for sure. Yeah, tightness and flow is one of the main things that brought it down. It's just, you know, I can't take puzzle pieces of albums. At the end of the day, still, that should probably be your first goal as as an artist, is to have at least a complete product, and it, at which point we can begin discussions on quality within. But, you know, that's the only reason why it's down in the twos for me. But yours is a... Three. Three. Even. Three. Three even. All right. Today, as our topic, we're going to discuss something that, well, we've talked about lyrics, we've talked about words, we've talked about poetry of the music itself. But one of the most, I guess you could say it's one of the more important features of a song is, is well, title. I don't know that it. I wouldn't say it's the most important feature. I'd say it's a one feature. of the more important features. You, I, I will defend him on this simple fact alone. It's one of the more important features because, like a cover of a book, it's the first thing you see. I guess if you're going to be superficial about it, at that, like not and not detrimentally superficial. I'm saying at a very base level, sure, that makes sense. In terms of reference purposes, someone sure. says, "Oh, you should listen to the song. It's called." Well, everybody has something to hide except for me and my monkey. <laughs> and there we go. There's our There's first one. My favorite idea sample. is going funny. Sure. Shamelessly. Like actually going the distance and making a song, not necessarily funny, but overemphasizing the song with the title itself. One of the longer ones that I know of is from Pink Floyd. Several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pick. That's the song title. That's the song title. If I remember correctly, it's not a particularly long song either. Um, doing this has a great, a, a great like expectation setter for me because you know it's going to be weird. It's like saying up front the song itself is weird, and you could do it with something by being overblown by the song title itself, or by having something as simple as like song two by Blur. Right. Because song two is absolutely no description whatsoever other than some sort of placement. Yeah. And I don't even remember if it was the second track on that record or not, truthfully. Or even Aphex Twin and his fact of just naming the songs after basically file annotation, we believe. Yeah. Having this sort of a setup is being cheeky. And I really enjoy doing some uh, listening to songs like this, whether or not they're good, because... It puts me in a very interesting uh, mindset. It puts me in a very interesting framework in which to regard the song itself because, well, when you hear something like everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey, it's the chorus. It's the entirety of the chorus itself. It's a weird song, and I love I love it for it. Right. Well, I mean, it's not uncommon at a base level for an artist to name a song for the chorus. I mean, especially back in the day, it's one of those things where you want someone to remember your song. If the chorus is what they'll likely be singing, then the verse, because it repeats, then having the name be the chorus makes sense. Another Beatles reference is Taxman, both the album and the song itself. Yeah. It's an easy way to identify your main crux of what the song is going to be is, you know, actually doing parts of the song and is this at this day and age in 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 what we do a lot of the reviewing and a lot of music that's coming out 
it is much less prevalent than it used to be, but it used to be the best possible way you could name a song. Because if you want somebody to, as Steve, Steve said, just immediately pick up a song and identify it, use the chorus. It's easy to remember because it's the chorus. Sure. I mean, to the opposite end of what you were talking about with those really long titles, I happen to sometimes prefer one-word titles just because there's an impact to it. I mean, take the song Closer by Nine Inch Nails. I mean, that song has an impact all its own, but the fact that it's just the word Closer and it's such a hypersexualized, intense track kind of empowers the word even more, which I think is very interesting. Uh, in a sense... I suppose that's true. They are a little bit more high impact, but it depends on how you're intrigued. This is going to depend on the person themselves. All right, well, that's a word. And often you come across instances where, well, probably over the course of recording history, you'll have crossovers. If you just search, you know, in Spotify, for instance, you might search a word by closer. I guarantee you there's probably more people who, who've done tracks with that exact same title. Then all of a sudden they, use, they lose their impact because it's a, it's a word they believe it's very powerful, but it's a very common word. So it's the point that other artists will probably stumble across the exact same word. And then it's a it's sort of a battle. Now, you could be really, really specific. Obviously, one of those cases is uh, everyone's got something to hide except well, me and my monkey. There's very but few songs also named that. Named that. Neither, and you mentioned uh, you're talking about long track titles. You, you were doing the Pink Floyd one. What was that again? Uh, the Pink Floyd is... I actually had to write this one down because it's so long. Several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pick. All right. I think Sufjan Stevens has got them beat. To the workers of the Rock River Valley region, I have an idea concerning your predicament, and it involves an inner tube, bath mats, and 21 able-bodied men. That's pretty good. I'll give them that one. Now, well what are you supposed to infer... From that kind of track title. This it's obviously, well, be... first of all, it hints at the kind of artist that you're looking at, the idea that he likes narratives. I mean, he's so much to the point that his narrative will not stop at the verses. They will not stop at the choruses. They are extended into the fabric of the album themselves. And this obviously was the, this is the 11th track off of the album, uh, Come On, Feel the Illinois, which is one of his most acclaimed works back in 2005. And it, Almost every single track is like that. That's just one track. You want another one? A conjunction of drones simulating the way in which Sufjan Stevens has an existential crisis in the Great Godfrey Maze. Another one, in this temple, as in the hearts of man, for whom he saved the earth. That one's not as long, but they, they, they still keep going. Oh, excuse me, one more. Track two. The Black Hawk War, or how to demolish an entire civilization and still feel good about yourself in the morning. Or, we apologize for the inconvenience, but you're going to have to leave now. Or... I have fought the big knives and will continue to fight them until they are off our lands. That is track two. Now, also, okay, that, that wins. speaks. That wins. <laughs> yeah, that wins right there. I think so. But I also, believe that's the entire verse and chorus. Well, and considering that's everything. Considering there are two ors there, obviously, it also is in, indicative of a very indecisive person. But then again, look at a very popular film, uh, Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, and, and everyone remembers that. And that's that's another thing that what the, the the titles of tracks and albums can do, they can be evocative. They can not just set up a, a an idea in your mind, but they can provoke an idea with that. They can just be 
there and give you a, a, a setting and a framework that is going to be a little divergent than what you may even end up hearing by being so long, or in some cases... Some well, that's tantamount song. to an epilogue, essentially, for a song. I mean, it's like, well, the, you have an idea of the world that you're stepping into. Most one-word titles would not be able to do that. They'd give well, you a feeling. Two words. And that's what I'm saying is that I would only amend your word evocative, because a one-word title to me as actually probably more evocative because it does make you think and it leaves your mind open this to me is just flat out narrative well yeah and almost a little too much i feel like well yeah i'm sure he's had his criticisms just in case you guys are wondering i pulled up something from billboard just because i was curious i googled what's the most common song title name Ah. on billboard's hot 100 so this might not be of all time the most common song title that they know of is 16 different songs have the title Hold On. I could definitely believe that. With the runner-up being 14 songs having Runaway, 14 songs having Happy, and 14 songs having Angel. Um, Yeah, I could definitely believe all those as well. I could think of three or four. Hang on a second. We just had a track called Hold On today. We did. Track four, with the exception of it being that it was added to a parenthesis called The Break. But that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's cosmic coincidence right there. But also not, because it's really common. And speaking of parentheses, that's another thing that... Thank you for your field research, by the way. You're welcome. My my pleasure. That's another thing that actually can uh, do a lot to underscore a message of a song. Uh, One of my favorite songs growing up, and one of the songs that was very provocative or evocative or whichever word we're going to be using, Good Riddance, parentheses, Time of Your Life. The first time Good Riddance was released... It was just titled that. And good riddance, those two words have nothing to do with the song itself unless you take them in context in a slightly different way when listening to this Green Day anthem that they came up with. It was everywhere, and everybody called it Time of Your Life. And they had to re-release it with that parenthetical Well, it was mostly because the chorus is Time of Your Life. That's actually happened to me a lot, instances where I, I falsely referenced the track by perhaps what is the signature line within the track and then i find people are always correcting me and i'm like well come on you know what i was talking about so is it that bad funny story to the importance of song titles to the human psyche when it comes to music an artist we've referenced on the show several times because me and steve are a huge fan is reggie watts reggie watts 90 percent of his music is improvis- improvisatory even the lyrics he's making up on the spot scatting just saying words some of it's very emotional singing singing about love singing about passion but it's all improvisatory people will come up to him on the street and go yo man i love that song hey i love you and he has no idea what they're talking about because he makes these up on the fly and no two songs are the same except because of course a a title would would belied the entire point of an improvisatory track is that it was supposed to be spur of the moment and in effect titleless it defined a moment and you can't really capture it but fans of his work title it i mean he's had albums where he's had songs with titles but these songs he's they're referring to his live shows where he's making up a lot of that stuff i mean he has a song called fuck shit stack which yeah. you're probably gonna have to bleep out the whole song so it'll sound like a large bleep to our no audience. that's a title that's I a title keep you, those. you keep those and that song was not improvisatory, although it might have started that way. It has a, a you know, a verse. It's got this rap element, you know. But a lot of his, his live stuff, he just does on the cuff. But people create their own song titles for it because they want a, a way to reference it. Because you can't just reference, hey, that thing you did with the stuff and the things and the stuff, that was great. Mm-hmm. Like, they want a title for it. They want to title it. 
by nature, and I think that's pretty funny. There's uh, uh, this brings me kind of to a new facet of the discussion, which of course the idea of titling things is really very this century. Well, yeah. the last century a little bit too, but think about the entire world of classical music. What do most people know of symphonies as? The, by the numbers. The number. Beethoven's Ninth Symphony basically says it all right there. Yeah, Beethoven sure. Fifth Symphony basically says it all. Duh, 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 duh. That now, even, that's pretty phenomenal. The, when wait, you can was actually, that the fifth one? That's the fifth. Okay, well, because there's a disco version of it from Saturday Night, Live, uh, Saturday Night Fever, which I actually love also. That is, yeah, I, I know the exact one you're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. Well, there were, there were a whole bunch of, like, disco-slash-funk renditions in the 70s of a bunch of classical music. Also, one of my favorites is also Sprachazarostrustra, which you would know as the opening theme to 2001 Space Odyssey, sure. when all the monkeys are touching the yeah. thing, which is a theme by uh, by Wagner. So Also, the song, the entrance music no, Strauss, for Rick excuse Flair. me, it's, for, it's by Strauss. Well, let's go a step further because... Well, I had a point, yeah. Movement. Yeah. There's also movements. If you're going to start talking tracks, movement one, movement two. Movement things one, like movement that, two, movement References three, like right. that. They didn't right. bother Actually, giving Actually, I, I tend to know Beethoven seventh uh, really mostly through, I believe, its third movement. I can't tell you the first movement to Beethoven seventh or the second, really. But the third movement to Beethoven seventh, you'll probably all know. Da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Sure, of this course. Very like harrowing funeral theme, and it's it's mournful, and all of this defined by a number within a number. The third movement of Beethoven's seventh, and this gets incredibly more complex. Actually, it's pretty easy with Beethoven because he only had nine symphonies. So yeah, they're gonna be, and he's Beethoven, so he's kind of a kind of a big deal. But then when you go to other names... He just did that. It's like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> yeah, but when fine. you go to, like, Mozart, it's like, oh, jeez, I was just looking up the, the Mozart... Mostly Mozart um, festivals currently going on right now at uh, Lincoln Center. They do this every single summer. They've been doing it since, like, 1966. Um, I'm currently writing an article about that for Classical Light, by the way. That's news. Um, <laughs> I write for Classical Light now. Anyway, the whole concept of Mozart, the whole concept behind this festival, rather, is the idea that Mozart has written so many things. Incredible amount. He was one of the most prolific men within, like, well, classical music history. And the vast majority of them are titleless. He yeah. did something like 41 symphonies, I believe. Not to mention, like, 22 concertos. Not to mention a whole barrage of sonatas and some operas. Some of the operas are named because they're, after all, uh, lyrical. So it would make sense to title an opera. The point is, how are you supposed to classify these things? The idea behind classical music originally is, of course, well, the music speaks for itself. Sure. I will not title this because you're supposed to listen and say, here's my thing. You don't go into it with an impression. And then all of a sudden, this changes around, and we just decide to start titling everything we do. And to not do it would be lazy and would seem to show a, a lack of, of uh, self-awareness of your work. Well, I mean, if you know what your work is, then you, you have to title it. You have to. If you weren't titling a book, that would be bizarre. Well, sometimes those... Titles can be incredibly pointed messages. Because if you, you have, have a message. Well, one of my favorite songs, Jumper by Third Eye Blind, never actually uses the word jumper no, it's, in the entire song. Because it's about the jumper, the guy on the roof. It's, that's what the song, it's the subject, the, the song title is the subject of and the song. And never actually makes a direct reference to that sure. fact, too. Uh, what do you mean? It, it never talks about him actually jumping. Oh, yeah, well... It only 
it, it circles around it and said, wish I you wish would. you step back from that ledge, my friend. But it doesn't say don't jump. It no, says yeah, yeah, don't yeah. go or anything. It doesn't say any of that stuff. Sure. And by taking that word jumper and then phrasing the song itself in a more positive spin on a very dark theme with words like I wish, it's very an interesting way to present a very powerful message it sure. did hit me All right. pretty so strongly you're making the point clearly that obviously there's a whole art around well titling things sure. you can make it a lot more complex than the idea of so like, well this is the title which means the thing in the song no it's it's you can make that a, you can kind of play with people's expectations sure. you can say alright well this is the name start thinking and then the song pursues it's like ah you relate it back this is about that or it's not or maybe it's not in first person it's in third person you can make this very complex the idea though my only point is that it, we do seem to have kind of shunned the idea of the or the convention of just simply not naming songs and i believe it's it's well songs are pieces rather it'd be more appropriate for pieces obviously because that really is just a purely musical subject the mm -hmm. music should speak for itself and after all when you're talking about well, music then well it, it should speak for itself why is that such a hard concept remember when we reviewed orca and I think the title was longer than that, but the album that the I classical think that was album just Orca that, Symphony Number no. One. But it was it's true, it was the title before the parenthesis defining it as a number. But the tracks, the movements, they didn't have names. No, you're right, there were movements. So, so they stuck with it. They stuck yeah. with classical convention. I but feel, why should that con not continue for I feel like modern music? I feel I feel like with classical stuff it you don't want to lead anyone in a certain direction because you want them to let their imagination kind of define what the setting is for the song. Whereas in a lot of shorter, much shorter pieces, like a three-minute song, you kind of want to give them a, an expectation in advance and then let them make illusions beyond it. Shouldn't a three-minute song speak for itself even more so than a 45-minute yeah. exposition? No, 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 no. I would say that you got to remember, you're, you do classify them as movements or expositions or something like that. They wouldn't necessarily be classified by the artist themselves. And if you want to talk about unnamed, then one of my favorite artists did it three times with the Green, Red, and Blue album. Weezer doesn't didn't name three of their albums. It's they just see, called they see Weezer. colors. That's true. No, and of course that's the odd. Like there are always artists that really do defy this in, White in album, many ways. Black I mean, album, but lots of albums. just to talk about perception quickly, I do find that sometimes a name really is meaningless to me. As far as my perspective is concerned, I've had a lot of instances where I'm listening to a new album and I get really, really 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 close to it I'm, I'm playing it constantly but sometimes and this is really strange considering i have this photographic memory of, of all of our episode numbers and the associating albums and artists that i can just pull up at the drop of a hat but sometimes if i'm not invested in remembering something then i probably won't do it and strangely for albums that i really really love i can't always recite the tracks like front to back but what i can sometimes do is say that was track five yeah, I mean... Well, I can do that for much longer before I finally get it nailed into my head what the name was. See, when I was younger, I was obsessive about learning track names because I wanted to know what to call everything and I wanted to be able to talk to it sure. by referring the name. I don't do it as much now, but I feel like uh, with those self-titled albums, I mean, think about one of the most famous, which is Metallica... I mean, not the most famous, but one of them, Metallica's Black Album. Which they stole from the Beatles' White Album. <laughs> but 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 it was literally this idea of a coiled snake on a cover, mostly black, with a little symbol that was less black. It just it it gave. I feel like if they had titled that album, it would have had less of an impact because they let it remain nameless. It added a mystique to it, and I feel like mm. Steve might be onto something doing that with a song. In fact, it was done recently. 
there are artists we've had reviewed on the show who haven't named their tracks. They use symbology instead. Uh, Owen Paulette, he had a track that was mm. one and a track that was the number two, but they weren't track one and track two. They had numbers and like little arrows or lines next to them. And right. you can or, argue that Aphex, Aphex was twin. actually just his file name so yeah. that he could keep the version. So they technically straight. weren't named, yeah. Right, they're just. So yeah. people are And still that, doing that's actually it. very similar to common. classical convention, apart from. Uh, as in the way of people who subsequently, long after contemporaries of the composers themselves, they subsequently start categorizing their pieces. Because obviously back then you didn't have albums. How can a composer release their work? They just release things on an as needed basis to whatever patron they were working for at the time. So they had no, like, no order or compendium so there was some guy like in the early 1800s who like more than uh 40 years after mozart's death decided like these these pieces are going to be scattered and lost if something is not done which is where you get all of that k146 sure all those bizarre little numbers that are added to whatever symphony or or concerto you're talking about that's almost just as bizarre it's a filing system just like apex twin was doing does it diminish the work no i don't think so all it does is perhaps get, make people a little bit wary when they see a, a lineup of like 41 symphonies. It's like, oh, uh, where should I begin? One? This is going to take me forever, yeah. you know? Or should well, I just maybe I... be spontaneous and start at 23? There's a reason we came up with things like the Dewey Decimal System. Sometimes you just need to be able to find things. Yeah. I think no, that... that's actually the reason I started memorizing these podcasts is because it's helpful just, I think, for the cases of re- referring similar uh, discussions that we may have had in previous cases so that way I can reference and if there's a listener out there who's wondering like oh what, what are you talking about well I can flat out refer them and be like well this is the number go listen to that episode and you'll hear a similar discussion or a contrary discussion something related we are by nature organizational animals so I feel like a yeah. lot of naming comes from that now the creativity within it I think John That's had true. made some really great points I think that there's a lot you can do with a name I mean what's in a name after all <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. We already talked about the names of bands. I think we talked about this back in uh, episode 85. I even remember that because I remember using the the title What's in a Name as the gallery photo it's for true. our Les Claypool's Do a Twang album. Yeah. That was 85. It, and that was, was the discussion that coincided with it. Um, so we already know what, what is entailed or what is implied in just the name that you give people, that your name, the art, the entire summation of your artistry, that's almost a lot more serious. And a lot of people will think long and hard about what that's going to be. Sometimes they don't, though. Some people just pick a fun name and then it ends up being more than that, too. I mean, True. it's happened. I interviewed... A lot of people are very hear, hesitant about it, too. You guys will hear on autographs in the near future, I interviewed a band called Jewel Thief, and they were originally called Congress, and they mostly changed their name because if you google congress you do not see their band you see everything that has to do with our government and so they changed the name because they just yeah this one sounds okay and there wasn't really any history behind it which i think is interesting actually that was embracing the it. same case of the presidents of the united states, states of america, america and they found that of course well who's what's what's the seo involved there it's going to be like a bunch of you know grade schoolers who are just like oh i gotta learn this it's on my test tomorrow google presidents of the united states of america they're not looking for the band yeah. you know and i think they had like a serious seo problem until like recently maybe they just like paid someone off you know just to get a higher listing so now you'll see it at least on front page do you mean the band or the presidents of the United States of America. America, So, yeah. And and we'll get back to it a little bit when John gives us his pick for this week, but uh, for next week, rather, but that band name also is 
kind of bizarre. But of course, the point is that's perhaps a little bit more serious than the names of your tracks. I I think that when you're talking about track names, song names, piece titles, then it does come down to whim at the end, and there really is nothing stopping you apart from the uh, opposing social convention. If you do want to just name your tracks Song 1, Song 2, Song 3. I think I know a jazz noir album that did that, actually. I think, um, yeah, if you want to listen to some really, really vague music, Boren and Der Club of Gore, jazz noir. And I think it was the album Midnight Show or something like that. And track 1 is called 1. <laughs> Etc. I got it. Um, before we wrap up this episode, we should hear from our fans, and by our fans, I mean our bots, and by our bots, I mean our spam. So, Steve, will you please deliver our spam email for the week? Do yes. we have bots other than spam bots? I'm fairly certain that there are I... other robots out there. Are they bots? Are they are they yeah. robots? So, bots uh, is a smarter child. They're is not. Bot. They're... But that's not a robot. It's just a bot. It's There's a, a difference because they're not roving <laughs> or roving. No, it's no, roving. Bot is, I know. It's just row. I know. Ing. Row is the prefix for yeah. moving, like a rover on Mars. Yes. It's roving. They didn't call it that when it didn't Which have wheels. Would they have like farm bots and sex bots and all these bots in science fiction? They add job description to or bot. activity and bot. Well, let's see what our resident bot has to say today. Hi there. I log on to your blogs named Fifty One A, The Invisits Conundrum, daily. By the way, that's a picture of the album, not the album. Anyway, he says, he continues, you're doing what you're doing. Yes, we are. And you can look at our website, Aboot Cheap North Face Jackets for Women. And yes, that is spelled Aboot. So he's a Canadian bot. At least they have national alliances. Anyway, of course, this is naturally by Cheap North Face Jackets for Women. Aboot? Yeah. Aboot. That's interesting. This may be the first time uh, bots cross uh, crossing borders. It's it's inspirational. Like international even. bots before. I can't imagine. This well, this is the, the first time, time we can uh, you know racially profile them. It is coincidence <laughs> though that we had a Canadian band and then a Canadian spam. And th- that's right. I like that. It kind of wow. flows. It does kind of flow. Um, okay. Our next pick for next week is John's pick. So what do you got for us this time, John? This pick is described by the band as. Involving a man stuck in a coma, journeying through his past lives. So we have a theme already. Yeah. Ah, another one of those. A progressive metal slash rock slash rock opera by the band Between the Buried and Me and their newest album, Coma Ecliptic. Ecliptic. As in an eclipse. Coma eclipse. Coma eclipse. A really, really, really out of it. But not eclipse. eclipse. Ecliptic, because they well, have to use a different word. An eclipse, at least if you're talking about an orbit, is probably really out of it already. <laughs> I mean, they're just doing the same thing over and over. It's monotonous. And if you're talking about names, some of the tracks, like, ectopic scroll. You want to say that again without mumbling? <laughs> ectopic stroll. Thank you. Famine wolf. Node. Got it. Let's not give spoilers. Spoilers. People can't look this stuff up, you guys. God. Jeez. On that that very wordy bombshell, we will uh, sign off and uh, see you guys next week. So remember, music is life. And And life life is is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. 
To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.